Hello and welcome to Exiting Through the 2010s, a podcast about the movies from the 2010s. I'm Jack Draper. With me is Chloe Williams getting ready to sing some Duran Duran. No, no. I'm going to drive it like <laughs> I stole it, though. Um, ah. uh, I've been getting become a more aggressive driver as I've gotten older, mm. which is weird because I used to start, I started off as like, if I went above 40, I'd like piss my pants. Um, but now I'm like fucking 80 on the highway. Let's do it fuck it mm-hmm. um mm-hmm. i i think it's i think i'm gonna crash soon i think i'm gonna crash soon <laughs> you're really you're seriously i'm like, like teetering on the edge at this point well it's also because sometimes i've also noticed like well i wasn't paying attention oh no that's not good. <laughs> well yeah i i guess it's, that's more i think that's more common that you than you expect as like you know you just sort of like go in the motions and oh yeah like, dissociate right, right, from right because right. it's gotten so just, easy yeah, i used but, to be like yeah, have no. to like um what's happening okay check this check that check this check that check this check mm-hmm. that i used to be deathly afraid of driving i didn't think i was ever gonna do mm-hmm. it or not do it until i was like 30 I, I finally did it though you just gotta get a good teacher but now i'm lackadaisical with the shit i'm just like oh, yeah what are you gonna do I'll it's probably one of the, i would imagine it's like one of the hardest things to teach you like, have to it, i think it's all in my about vibe. Like just i think it's less about yeah. i feel like everyone anyone can say the right things to be like you got to do this here i think it's about like you have to be a welcoming person because it's a very vulnerable state. you have to be a people person absolutely yeah. if you are not patient yeah, with yeah. people you are the wrong person for that gig mm-hmm. yeah yeah most adults don't understand that you know it's like the uh um oh what do you call it the um uh, the Mike Lee movie Happy Go Lucky, you know, like Annie Morrison's like trying to do like the, uh, you know, the symbolism for Sally Hawkins, and it's like, you know, uh, trying to you know use that uh, profession to be like you know there's 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 no allowance for uh, um, people who who are just living favorably. Anyway, uh, today we have uh, 2016's musical comedy Sing Street with us. The uh, John Carney film that I think it's li- has lived on pretty well. Has uh, like you know is like well liked at the time, and then is still sort of like steadily been well liked since. And here, who brought it to us is Billy Way Bruton of the Incinerator Podcast. Howdy! Lovely to have you. First, before we get to Sing Street, we like to get to know our guest a little bit okay. and find out your passion, where your passion of film came from, and sort of like talk about your films that got you into films. Um, like, what were, what was it that grew your love of cinema, and like, sort of like what brought you here today? Uh, as oh. as something that they are like okay like this is something that I really love now I like this I like where I can talk about me <laughs> instead of just the film um, yeah so I mean I I I guess it I mean it started when I was super young um, so I was I kind of got obsessed with films at you know four or five years old is when I really started becoming obsessed. Like most kids, it started out with like animated films, family films. But then I lived about a mile and a half away from a video store, like an old school OG VHS. Like you break it, you owe them like $300 VHS. 
And um, I would ride my bike there every day after school. The guy who owned it would let me put the old VHS boxes back on the shelf. And then I would get to take two or three films home every night to watch. And so I just started, I, I when I was, I tried, I made the decision, I'm going to watch everything in this store. And so I would watch everything, whether it was horror, comedy, drama, international, like, I mean. How many were you was, watching a day, do you think? Two or three. I mean, that's all I did when I got home from school was watch movies. That's all I did. I mean, I'd eat dinner. I'd, you know, do whatever. I'd have friends over a lot, too. I was a pretty social kid. But I was I was always watching movies. Always. And mostly horror. Horror was really my genre from the get-go. But I also found, you know, that I really enjoyed westerns. Because that, that quickly became a real favorite genre of mine. Probably because also my dad was a big fan. And, um... But I might have been the only eight-year-old watching Farewell, My Concubine. Um, but that was really how it started. And I just, I started falling in love with movies. I would get the Roger Ebert Video Home Companion or the Video Hounds Golden Movie Retriever. And I would go through and X out all the films I was seeing, trying to get through the whole book. And uh, watch Siskel and Ebert religiously every Sunday night at 1030. Siskel and Ebert every single week. And, and I do credit them in a large degree with sort of expanding my love of films because they're the ones who turn me on to a lot of, like, smaller films. And I'm thinking, like, uh, Carl, like One False Move, films like Dark City, which at the mm. time was, you know. And so, like, they really did turn me on to a lot of amazing films mm-hmm. that I wouldn't have known about earlier. And then I had all the magazines. I was just a geek. I was a movie geek as a kid and kind of knew I wanted to be involved in film in some capacity from that point mm-hmm. on. I didn't know what that would be, but um, that's kind of how I just kind of belly flopped into it. White trash Southern yeah. style. Because <laughs> it, it shows, I mean, it shows the importance of video stores, you know? It, for me, um, it was... That, it's the, uh, the wall, I mean, for me, at least, where it's... Um, um, I worked at a record store a few summers ago that would like buy and sell yeah. old like DVDs and Blu-rays, and it's that wall-to-wall look where you can just like spend so much of your time. Oh yeah, scanning titles that you have and have not heard about, uh, and then that drives curiosity and um, knowledge of something that would just not be there if it was it was extinct. Uh, or I guess it's more rare now, but uh, streaming just doesn't, you know, it stre- streaming gave us that, I would say, like as as um, as Clay and myself were, when we were growing up, had more accessibility, but like seeing what the blockbusters um, from before had is just like, yeah, that, so valuable. Well, it yeah. and for me, it was, video stores were a two-pronged approach to me because my little mom and pop video that I went to, which was called the Rosalie Plaza Video, um, you know, there were certain types of films that they didn't get, right? And, like, I knew I knew from a pretty young age. I came out when I was about 12 into 13. So I, I knew pretty at a pretty young age that I was queer. But that video store, because I'm from the rural South, like, buckle of the Bible belt, as rural and as red as you get. They weren't stocking up on a lot of queer films at that video store. Not because the guy who ran it was you know, homophobic or anything. He just knew who his audience was. And so my dad worked in Chattanooga, Tennessee, which was about 45 Mm. minutes away. And so every Friday, or uh, excuse me, every Saturday morning, I would go to work with him. I would literally, I would literally spend all day in the video store. 
that like a big one, like at a blockbuster, at a movie gallery. Mm-hmm. And I would get those films that I couldn't get at the local store. And then I would go home with them. He would return them the next week. And mm-hmm. um, and that's how I started expanding outside of that. And that's when I started realizing, oh, okay. There are a lot. And that's when I got into more experimental stuff, into more like queer cinema, new queer cinema. Really went, you know, I was in high school when I started going down like my French New Wave deep mm-hmm. dives and like started getting into Truffaut and uh, Godard and like, um, but yeah, I mean, it just kind of was a slow progression in a large degree. And, um, I think I used to be way more of like a, a, a bitchy self-righteous cinephile than I am now. I think I used to be mm. a real prick when it came to movies. Now I'm just kind of like, eh, you know, look, I can take something like my favorite film, Ordinary People, and I can hold it at the same level with another film I love like Congo. And I'm okay with that. Mm. I'm okay with that. Yeah. 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 <clears throat> I mean, um, you know, I think about um, the movie that came out this year, uh, you know, at least for U.S. I think it might be for different for Canada, but uh, I like movies. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that it's, you, you see at that age, yeah. um, you, just, you just have, like, time. Like, you just have less responsibilities and, like, yep. you know, maybe your behavior isn't as ideal as, as you you start to consider yourself at, an, at another age. But it's, like, that's, that's, the, that's the beauty of, of discovering something like this because it's so um, – uh, Cassidy Olsen said on a recent episode, like, cinema is so independent and lonely yep. where it's, like, you know, you just, you just, you just need – the, uh, the the passion, you know, the yeah. curiosity. Yeah, and, and like, and, and even how I watch movies obviously has changed too. I mean, when I was younger, I never wanted to go to the movies alone. I always wanted to have someone with me, so it would always be a friend or I had I had something like that too. Yeah, yeah, it uh, would be. A, it's like you kind of want that. Yeah, you want a friend, yeah. you want or one of my siblings or something like that. Now, I mean, I certainly like going with groups, but I actually find myself preferring to kind of go by myself. I like, and I specific time, you know, back then, like when I was younger, it was always, Oh gosh, if it was a horror film, we got to go see this at midnight. We have to see a midnight movie. Now I'm like, what the fuck were you thinking? Like my, I know. my favorite time to see a movie right now Even is, hearing is 10 AM on a Saturday or Sunday. <laughs> That's my favorite time to see a movie. I roll up with my coffee. Mm-hmm. I would do 9 AM if they did screenings that early. I'd roll up at 10 o'clock. I start my day with a good movie. And it's also called getting older. I understand that. My tastes are changing as I turn into a grizzled old curmudgeon. But, um, yeah, I mean, the way I've, I've watched movies has changed. Obviously, streaming is new. That wasn't something that I had to deal with as a kid. But I do think there's something that's been lost. And I feel the way about record stores, too. I'm also a big record collector. And, like, I, mm. I feel the same way about that. I just There's something lost in kind of the tangible nature of video stores and, like, I can scroll through Netflix for three hours stoned and then be yes. like, oh shit, it's been three hours and not find anything to watch. If I was in a video store, I would find something to rent. And I it didn't think, take me three hours. I think the... And I've been thinking about this more and more, especially as we've done this podcast, because you know, it, a lot of the time like the guests will be from a different generation as us. And sure. video stores will be a big part of their origin. And I'm trying to kind of relate, like, so, because they'll say the same thing, I wish video stores were still a thing. And I'm trying to kind of think about it in a way of, like, well, what is the real key difference there? And I think it's, I think, one, it's physical. You can kind of touch it and feel it. Like, oh, what's the backside about it? Just 
kind of be more inquisitive instead of just like having your eyes gloss over it when you're streaming when you just scroll over just completely have it melt melt into the background um i think another thing is, is curation i think the thing with a video store if you're looking at one like just like one aisle or just like one stand that has we'll say five rows of five so that's 25 movies in this one little stand or whatever that's 25 movies you see and you're like okay so which out of these 25 would i want to watch <laughs> with netflix it's hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of titles and hbo yeah. max or max or whatever the fuck you want to call it or hulu it's just like it's so much gluttony it, it's it's just so it's just gluttonous with how much co uh, yeah. content and like uh, you know projects are on, and well, it's stuff, yeah. and stuff, stuff it, most of it is shit, but and so much of it is shit that it get you kind of just it all blends in together, and you get overwhelmed mm -hmm. by it and you can't really think like well this one, it just it's all it all just kind of becomes some glob of <clears throat> content creation or content choice, while video stores are just like here are your choices, figure it well, out. And video stores, too, there's something tangible about, like, the changing of hands. Like, I know that if I pay whatever it is to rent a movie, $3, whatever it is to rent a movie, because I'm actually, there's an actual changing hands, I'm giving them something, they're giving me something. There's an importance I, to it. There's an importance, but it's also, like, I feel like the filmmakers are getting paid, the studio is getting paid, the store is getting it, like, everybody's getting a piece of it to some degree. Whether it's a fair enough piece or big piece, I, I'm not going to say. But everybody's getting a piece. With streaming, it's impossible to know that. It's so nebulous, and I, that's what people are striking for right now, is more transparency, because it is nebulous. Like, you don't know. Like, does it, does it make sense if something's getting streamed, you know, a million times and someone's only making like a couple hundred bucks off of that. Like that doesn't sound right. Right. Like, and I think that's what we're kind of coming to grips with at the moment as an industry is like, how can streaming, because I think, I mean, I don't want streaming to go away. I watch shit on streaming all the time. I prefer the theatrical experience, but I also sometimes just want to sit at my house and watch something on Netflix and that's okay. And so I don't want streaming to go anywhere. I think now it's just by, about figuring out where its place is and what that's going to look like. And is it a sustainable model if you're paying people what it takes to pay people to live? And maybe it isn't. And maybe streamers can't survive. I don't know. But I hope they can. I'm just hoping that we see... I know here in Seattle, we've had, since I've been here, and I've only been here about two and a half years, there have been a couple of video stores pop up since I've been here. And when I say video stores, I mean like VHS, DVD, like they're popping up again. And I, I'm not saying that it's like a huge thing. It's still not, but it is certainly bigger than it was 10 years ago. Yes, but I will say we have when <clears throat> we have to kind of be careful here when we look at things like Seattle and Portland, when all of it is a lot like because it when you said sure. mentioned, oh, I like. I'm, I collect records or you're big into records. I'm like, well, you I immediately thought, well, you live in the perfect city for that because sure. that city is like record shop heaven, heaven for sure. out of in the United States. But that is interesting to know that though. I did not know that, but yeah. like the last, but it's interesting though. Like the last blockbuster that survived was in somewhere in Oregon. Yeah. So, still there. 
Yeah, that's right. It's still there. It's used yeah. as a museum now, I think. It's in Bend. More so. It's in Bend, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, but like even before I left L.A., uh, or excuse me, not before, but since I've left L.A., there have been a couple of video stores pop up there as well. And I'm like, but but the one that popped up, which is a really cool place, only rents VHS. They only mm. rent VHS. And I'm like, how can wow. you sustain yourself in 2023 with only renting VHS? And sure, they have like a screening room and stuff like that, but they sustain it. And I'm like, but then again, also, you're right, like that's Silver Lake. That's L.A. That's a very, like, that's a part of that community where you would expect to kind of rally behind a store like that. I certainly don't think you're going to see, there aren't a lot of cities, I would say, in Kansas where you see video stores just popping up again. But I wish they would. I mean, I think that would be awesome. Physical media is just so cool. Mm. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's I, yeah. I think it's important. Because, like, yeah, I mean, we mentioned streaming and you look at all of the shady shit happening with, like, removing things from existence and also, yeah. like, and there's no real control over it. If iTunes feels like pulling away one of your movies that you bought, they can just do that. It's not, yeah. like, a thing that you're, like, you keep forever. That is completely up to iTunes whether they want you to keep that or not, no matter how much you paid for it. So it is, yeah, it's, like... That's I mean I think that's why a lot of people believe in hard drives for films, like yeah. like they mm -hmm. like have fucking terabytes of like data that they that, like data storage. Yeah. Just like all right, here are all my movies, here they are. That's all I need. Well, that's um, why Ple that's why something like Plex, I think is yeah. is become so important to at least cinephiles. Yeah. It's a great place to just house and it, share it, off of cinephiles, share absolutely, it, yeah, absolutely. I share I share several. With people who have very well curated Plex servers, and I'm very grateful for that, um, mm -hmm. because that is it. It is curation, right? Like, I mean, that's the big thing. Is like, and I do feel like we are moving back to a more curated sort of thing. And and, and I don't know how streaming is going to fit into that, but like across the board, I feel like people are hungrier for curation, like actual curation, and not just here's a big dump of stuff. Like, take your pick. Um, and that's what I respond to. Like, I like finding people that I trust, whether that's a film critic, whether that's a, just a cinephile. Like, I just like finding somebody I trust and letting them kind of guide me along a journey. And, um, and that's why I miss Roger Ebert painfully all the time, mm. because that was kind of the last person of that ilk that I really trusted, that I like mm. knew that if he recommended something to me, even if I didn't enjoy it. I was going to get something out of it. I was going to take something away from it, even if I didn't love the film. And there aren't a lot of yeah. people like that anymore for me personally. And I hate saying that because, like, you know, I do film podcasts. I've got so many amazing friends who are film critics and podcasters and all this stuff. So that's not to denigrate them. Obviously, obviously if Mitchell was like, hey, you should check this film out, I'd be like, oh, okay, because I trust Mitchell. But it's just, just something it's, – it's in a more holistic way, and it's just not, it's just not there the way it used to be. People just don't trust people. The way they used to, I don't think. Did you guys happen to see <clears throat> that article? That you know, what do we will? But I think it was like New York Times that put this out about movie talk by chance. It was it was focusing on people on TikTok that 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 will you know take film criticism very seriously, and and, and it was basically. 
that they don't consider themselves critics because they they talk to their phone and are putting themselves online but there's like a whole community of these of these creators that are that are trying to educate others on on cinema and trying to like review and and you know trying to turn their content around on cinema but it's like there's just so many voices yeah it's also it's like, how it's going out to another so YouTube? many like like when, right when, right how, of course because but, that created a gluttony of film critics who only got reputability quote-unquote because of the amount mm-hmm. of views they got that's when they yeah, get started right. pre- invited to press screenings no matter how shit their taste was or how it like how ignorant they were to the art itself and like in not to in uh, youtube youtube uh film critics are easy to put a hit on even though we've well, had yeah. I, I i appreciate the essay 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 that's the word sure um, it doesn't sound right. I think that is the word. It's like the Pete Holmes joke. I edited it. Yeah, edited it is all. I think about that. I think about that joke so much. Um, I the the people who like do actual in depth film analysis on YouTube are amazing. We've had some of those people on this podcast before, and they're incredible. And those people I really appreciate. But it's when it's the fi- you know here's a review in five minutes, people is like yeah. or a review yeah. in thirty seconds is the issue and i'm guilty of that too i used to be on a fucking app that was here's my thoughts on a film in 30 seconds i grew up but i was like fucking 18 16 not 18, 16 like 18 17 doing that shit i grew out of it and yeah and, and it's the idea of like video essays or <clears throat> I, I, I you know that they're you know different yeah things but it's like the video essays are really carefully curated pre-written researched uh, greatly edited like su- like i have such an admiration yeah, that kind of style yeah. of criticism but yeah. then with this movie talk thing it's you know it is this idea where you don't you're unsure of how educated the people who create that content are about cinema but then you are unaware of how educated the people who are taking in that content are where it's like you know if you're not if you're not if their tastes are shit or or if yeah, like yeah. you know if they're just like if they just don't know what they're talking about in in like a realistic sense and then they pass that off to a teenager it's like that could like you know mess up their whole yeah i, I but I, it's it's a whole yeah, i missed i think I missed. I was in between, sort of the YouTube. But this is very generalizing. Yeah, there yeah, are, like yeah. good people on oh, no, TikTok no. talking about cinema, yeah. but like I certainly like kind of like. Yeah. Yeah. Right. I certainly right. missed the TikTok wave. It was just a little bit after my time, and YouTube was all all. It was in this weird. I just never was much into YouTube, right? And and for no mm-hmm. other, I don't. I, I there's a lot of stuff I like on YouTube. There's a lot of film stuff I like on YouTube. So that's not just yeah. denigrating the whole site. But all of yeah. this comes from sort of like I think it all stems from what the ain't it coolification of film mm. criticism, and um, which I can do a whole episode about that. Um, Amen. And um, and and I like. Oh, that was the that was the film website that, that was. That's Harry Knowles' that site, uh, and okay. and Harry, of course, got canceled. That was a little bit behind our my I guess our time. Yeah, and and um, and Harry, yeah. of course, has been canceled in the last few years, rightfully so. He's kind of a monster. But there are a lot of great mm-hmm. people who wrote for that site, like Chris Cargill, who does the, you know, Doctor Strange and Black Phone, and Drew McWeeny, who's on my show a lot. And, like, there are some great writers that came out of that place. But what that site did is it really changed the industry's idea of what film criticism was. And that's when you mm-hmm. started seeing 
bloggers getting invited to film premieres. That's where you started seeing studios making decisions based on what sites like Ain't It Cool News were saying. And mm -hmm. like, which is insane to think about now. And it's just yeah. like, I, I, it's, it's, I call it the movie nerd bro culture, which I was just never mm -hmm. a part of. Like, I was never yeah. a part of that culture. I just thought it was so weird. It felt like a bunch of, like, just older guys who could never get laid in high school who now have all this power, and they don't know what to do with it. And so, shocker, they started fucking up. And um, for me, the best film criticisms, it's why I don't really get into, like, the YouTube the or the TikTok reviews or anything like that, because it feels like most of the time they're just talking about this is what the film is. I enjoyed the film. You guys should check it out. And it's like, for me, the best film criticisms rope in some correlation to either society or yourself. And that's the way that it, it kind of hooks you into the review. And I want to learn something in a film review. Like, I, I, I want to learn something. I want them to make a comparison that I never thought of. I want them to open my mind about something in the film that I never, ever thought of. Like, those are the things I want in a review. If it's just somebody talking about how they saw a movie and I liked it, like, I don't give it. Like, I can just ask any stranger on the street what they thought about Titanic if I want to know so bad. Like, I don't have to watch a five-minute video for someone just to say, oh, thumbs up. And um, and at least with, like, someone like Siskel and Ebert, and I keep bringing them up, it's like, there was substance to what they were talking about. They were right. talking about the themes. They were talking about its societal implications. Like, they weren't just talking about the movie, and I think that's what's so important. And unless it's someone like a Michael Phillips or a Manola Dargis or someone like that, we just don't have a ton of those, like, really insightful critics anymore on that scale. They exist, maybe just not on that scale. I think the issue is, yeah, like you said, you know, like, the ply and what they liked about it. Yeah. I also think we just, they, people forget how many different things are in a film it's like i swear it's yeah. uh, so many actual critics people who are like on rotten tomatoes and stuff think there are two things about a movie it's acting and it's writing yeah not about not or maybe sometimes uh, the music yeah not the filmmaking not the editing <clears throat> not the blocking not the color palette not and you know and like not the um you know what like what kind of film is it is it digital is it 75 is it 35 just like things that are almost like basic vocabulary and not to be an elitist about it but the idea is just because they don't know it, <laughs> right exactly yeah. and it's like and i don't and of course that doesn't mean they shouldn't give their opinion of course but not. does that mean they should be like crit like high profile critics that have actual impact on like a film's perception i don't think so I think that's I don't think that's like super responsible in a way. I mean, they uh, should obviously have their opinion out there because everyone should, but it's the idea of like well, you're like affecting how films are almost being made at a certain point because of like how studios are obsessed with rotten tomatoes and shit. And it's like I feel like you do have some kind of responsibility to actually know what you're talking about. Yeah, I agree. And I I I hate to bring, I hate to call out people by name, so I'll, I will use a name. But I, I, yeah. so there's like, I'll, I'll use this dude as an example. There's this guy on uh, uh, Twitter, and he's got, I think he's got a YouTube following. I don't really know, 
but he, he's like minor. We're talking about minor, but still, his his Twitter name is Lights Camera Jackson. I knew you were gonna bring him up. The famous kid. Oh my god. And look, let me just preface by saying, I'm not here to slam a kid or anything like that. But I think he's like our age now, so you can fucking yeah, slam away. So yeah, like, he's our age. so like, I'll look at his stuff, and I'm just like, you have no insight to bring to the table. He's no an offense. Idiot. No offense. Like you're some dumb kid with questionable taste in films who decided that they were going to put their opinions out to the world, and you have every right to do that. You have every right to do that. But he presents himself as if what he's saying has substance, and it doesn't. Mm-hmm. And that's the problem. Like, like know your role. And certainly, like, a victim. But, like, a result of the YouTubeification of film criticism where it's, that he was almost on that the forefront sorta, of that, honestly. Yeah, yeah. Because yeah. he was the guy that was like getting like on talk shows, being compared to like the new like Ebert and shit like that. Um, no. Obviously, it was like a PR, you know, fluff fest. But it was still one of those things where that kind of idea of even a kid can have their opinion out there, and it can be known. <laughs> Ooh, the internet's crazy, isn't it? Watch out, Siskel and Ebert. Jackson's coming for the. Well, I'll just quote. Uh, I'll just quote Jeff Goldblum from Jurassic Park and said, "They spent all this time thinking about whether they could do something. They didn't think about whether or not they should. Mm-hmm. And that's it. And it's like you can do this, but should you?" Do you really have something compelling to say? Look, I don't. I don't look at myself as any kind of like grand poobah. Like I don't know that I have anything compelling to say. But like, so I someone could throw me right into that same that same mix. Absolutely. What it li- hey, we we definitely don't. Oh, absolutely. So like, I get that. But I'm also not trying to pretend like I am. I'm, I'm not out fun. there. Exactly. Like I'm not out there saying my opinion is serious. You should listen to me. Like that's not me. I don't do that. Like I think. If people find me and discover me, awesome. Like, mm-hmm. that's the journey. But, like, with people like that kid, and there are so many others. I, I could name so many more. But, like, it, it's like, you know, throw Armand White into that bullshit, too. Um, someone who is just all clickbait and no, like, integrity whatsoever. And, like... He's a professional I, I asshole. That's oh, how I yeah. And it's like, and all of that, I'm just like... I appreciate that you're doing your thing, but you're not bringing anything new to the party. And mm-hmm. you know, if if I'm throwing if I'm throwing a lot of parties, and you show up for, to the fourth party and you don't bring anything to the party, you're not going to get invited to the party anymore. That's really funny. <laughs> I didn't think of that. That's a good. Yeah. That's a good. Yeah, and it's like it is. Yeah, it's one of those things that yeah, people that like come at me for me being like gatekeepy or whatever. It's like, hey, I don't want me writing for those outlets either. Trust me, I like the first Venom movie. Don't trust me with anything. I like yeah. the I like when he jumps in that lobster uh, in that lobster uh, tank and him insert him eating lobster. That's like my kind of movie. So don't come. Don't I don't want to write for Vulture. I don't want to write for yeah. Vanity. Or a variety. I don't. So I don't want me to. So I don't want a bunch of me's being responsible for that kind of criticism. I want people who know more than me, because that's the whole fucking mm-hmm. point. Or people who have at least a unique opinion. And I think the unique right. opinion thing is key. And 
that's why I really appreciate, I think Letterboxd, it obviously has a lot of these same problems, but I mean, you look at, and and I'm biased because he's a dear friend of mine and dear friend of me and Jack, but Logan Kenny, the man, the way he writes about films blows my mind every time because it's a completely different approach and take than I would even co comprehend. And sometimes it's like people roll his eye, roll their eyes at his takes because like, oh, he's just being a contrarian or whatever. But then he, when he writes about it and you get into the minutia of his points and just the way he viewed it, it's like that, like, oh, holy shit, I didn't even think about it like that. And I find a lot of that kind of writing on Letterboxd and, on, and obviously from the people that we, a lot of the different people we've had on this podcast before, um, Roxanne Haddadi, uh, Bill Guy Beery. Like, these are great yeah. people who like great stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, but it's when it but unfortunately so many of those times i hear those same people like you know they're they're i mean bilga maybe but like they're not the ones writing for the new york times they should be but they're not they're not writing for yeah. um you know the washington post or whatever like these are i mean like they you know employed at certain outlets and vulture is a great outlet uh i think a lot of the great writing that i've from film i think comes from vulture um, and then other places like Slash Film and stuff is yeah. decent. But it's like, these these are the kind of people that need to be at the very top. Not Owen Gleiberman. I will call, I will say names, because I don't fucking care. <laughs> um, I've said names plenty. I don't need Owen fucking Gleiberman to write anything that anyone reads. He's a well, fucking I'll, hack. I'll say this. My favorite site to read anything film-related for the last few years has been... Uh, uh, bright wall dark room right that like that's that's the kind of writing i get into it's unique there's no other site like it the amount of time and attention that goes into every single piece that they put out is staggering and like that is that's the kind of thing that i go for and um you know the other sites like you know like you know vulture and pace and places like that they put out good stuff I, I don't want read the, I, I I read the film stage a lot the film stage I'm a big fan of, um, but yeah film stage I, I I stay pretty well versed on I mean there are critics that I enjoy like I read everything Michael Phillips puts out with the Chicago, uh, Tribune I Alonzo Duralde I'm a big fan of his stuff, um, and you know yeah Scott I mean I'm all you know obviously I'm big fan of all this film spotting guys and and like that whole crew and so. Like, those are the people that I pay attention to and that I kind of care what they say. And outside of that bubble, like, something will occasionally filter through and I'll be like, oh, that was really well done. That was well written. Or I'll put that person on my radar. Like, um, uh, Scout Tafoya is a good example. Like, Scout writes for RogerEbert.com. He wrote, a, they wrote a couple of really interesting pieces. And I was like, I'm going to put them on my radar. And now they're one of my favorite writers. And so it's like, people filter through like that. Um, but, um... I'm just a I'm just an old grizzled man. I've got very specific tastes. I'm like Liam Neeson, except I'm older. I don't have a very specific set of skills. I have and a you very have specific a almost committed a hate crime. I have a very specific <laughs> set of needs. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you have a specific set of film critics. And you won't randomly tell a story skills. about how mo how you almost committed a horrific hate crime. You won't do that. I won't, but I, I hey, I give him I give him I give him thumbs up for telling it in an honest, open way in a self-effacing way and doing it in the terms of like 
I used to. I did this horrible thing once. I'm like, good for you, dude. Good for you on just owning up to shit. There's a he broken man. Unprompted was, though. And my issue is, yes. I don't think he actually knew how bad it was because if he did, I don't think he would have told that story. I about. don't think. I don't think he cared in the sense of that. I think he he's just an should. honest. I think he's just an honest <coughs> dude who was like, you know, people change. I had a really sordid past, and like, this yeah, is something that happened, changed. and like. Yeah, um, I, I, I do. I do think he was probably thinking that. Yeah, yeah I don't think he'd said it with malicious it's intent. Not, yeah. I think he just was trying to be honest, and he was a but little then he, too he just honest. Didn't come. He was a little yes. too honest. Yeah, I, I think yes. that's the thing. It was one of those things um, where, like, you didn't have to tell that story, and also, it's not not great, but you can see how it was just like but, uh, nakedly, like, yeah, well, whatever. Like well, that. Yeah. It, it's, yeah. it's yeah. whatever. That's, that's yeah. another episode. Yeah, <laughs> probably probably for widows, I guess. I don't know. Oh Have God, for widows tombstones yet? No. Oh God. Oh, I. Great episode. I'll be honest. That's that's one of the better Liam Neeson Man on a Vengeance movies. Oh, of for course, because sure. yeah. it's an actual movie. Yeah. It's I mean, like I that like one's. A, I like the Scott Colette Frank. Right? I like the Colette Sarahs. Yeah. Yes, it's Scott Frank. Yeah. I like I like the unknown and I like the um, nonstop and I I have I need to watch the commuter. Again, I only caught bits and pieces of it, um, but like, but no, walk among the tombstones because it's a it's a pulpy fucking trashy paperback yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, airplane novel and it's great. Yeah, yeah. It's... I know that that uh, that came out around the same time as Cold Pursuit. Twenty fourteen. Yeah. No, Cold, no walk, Cold Pursuit was walk... later. Yeah. Walk no, no, no. no. I mean the interview. The interview. Oh, the interview. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Wait, the, the interview. The... You mean the commuter? The, the... no, no. The... The, the 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 story. The, oh yeah, the, the, he was story. on press. He was on press for that. Yes, yeah, for okay. for Cold That's what I meant. Sorry, and he, and he had but to miss the I, premiere because he. he yes. He yes, that. exactly. That was right. quite something to to hear unfold in real time. So wait, so yeah, uh, yeah. Cold Pursuit yeah. was twenty nineteen. Sure was. And then what was when was Walk Among the Tombstones? Oh, it was twenty fourteen. Yeah, twenty fourteen. Yeah. yeah, that was yes. his. Uh, that yeah. Then the next. Oh yeah. Then he did. Oh yeah, yeah. So it's interesting <laughs> yeah. just looking yeah. at his. It's just interesting yeah. looking at his filmography, and I'm like, I've seen way more of these films than I expected yeah. that I would have. He's an Irishman. Well, correct? it's. Yeah, he's yeah. an Irishman. Yeah, it's yeah. funny. Well. Uh, <laughs> I was I was just going to point out also that it's that that. I think of widows connected to that incident incident because everyone was like, huh, Liam's, you know, working with an auteur. Maybe he's going to go on like a bit of like a, a streak, like of, of solid performances, you know, like Oscar talk. Then this happens. Like what, what is happening? That's not the curveball. Uh, and then he goes, does like a movie. He's no. like, Hey, what if I played a guy with Alzheimer's and everyone's <laughs> like, don't. And he's like, I'm going to. <laughs> <laughs> Guess yep. what? It's out in two weeks. <laughs> yep. Boy, Five dollars in an Eastern European country and you have no say. I just remember two or three years ago. He <laughs> I'm going like, to do it again. I remember him coming out two or three years ago and making a statement being like, I'm, all, I'm not going to do many more of these action films. He's done I, He's done tw yeah. at least 12 since then. <laughs> right. It's... At least 12 since then. Retribution, it's Marlowe, just... Memory, Blacklight, Ice Road, Mark. Marksman, Honest Thief, Made in Italy. Like, Yeah, right. What what does his career look like if Taken never happens? You know, I'm sure he did action before that, but that was like what really character yeah. actor supporting actor in the occasional uh, Oscar movie. 
Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, yeah. T- I mean, yeah. I mean, who? I mean, I would say, what would his career be if Spielberg had been able to get Lincoln off the ground when he was supposed With, to play Lincoln? It's where you would get, like yeah, then. What true. would his career yeah. have looked no like? No shit, I didn't know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. It was originally. For years, it was Liam Neeson. Like for years yep. and years and years. And then when it's he like finally the did 90s. it, when he finally yeah. did it, he thought Neeson was too old. And then, mm-hmm. and so that's why he cast Daniel Day Lewis, even though he ended up casting Sally Field as his wife, who was like twenty years older at the time. Yeah, because um, he's a feminist king. That's Stephen. That's right. That's <laughs> right. People don't need to forget it either. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no. I mean, I'd be interesting to see because he's always waffled. Or at least since Taken, you know, he's waffled between, like, these kind of generic-ish action movies. And then occasionally he'll do something like The Grey. Or he'll do something mm. like, uh, oh, what's the other film that he did that was actually kind of a, uh, oh, a, a Monster Calls. And, like, uh, right. you know, Widows. A like Silence. Yeah, yeah. He'll, so. Or Silence. Yeah, he'll throw one of those in every now and again. It's been a while since he's thrown one in, though. It's kind of like he's just completely left uh <laughs> like like decency behind and not that some of these films aren't fun mind you like i'll watch i'll watch lisa i'll watch liam neeson beat the shit out of anybody right like right. you know except you know maybe an undeserving kid of color that uh <laughs> oh my God. except maybe that um, it's just about like working with a Scott Frank or a Colette Sarah that it's like you know all of them start to feel. Yeah, if you're gonna do trash, do the right yeah. trash, man. Right, Get right. The exactly. guy who yeah, wants yeah. to do the trash yeah. that like actually mm-hmm. needs to be done. Don't but do like, the yeah. Alzheimer's hitman movie. Yeah, he's <laughs> 71 now. Like, come on, dude. Like, go back to do, do some prestige stuff again. You're Putting 71. Harrison Ford to shame. Like, I, you, oh, you only make an action movie like every five years. I'm making 20 today. Oh, yeah. And, like, I'm like, does he, like, is it like a Nicolas Cage situation? Did he, like, buy a lot of castles when he a few years ago when he's trying to pay off all these castles? There are probably a lot in Ireland. Actually, that would, I um, would not be surprised if he has a castle. Because, like, Nick Cage makes sense. I'm going to start doing shit movies because i got to pay off, like, four castles. And his mausoleum. <laughs> Don't you forget oh, it. And so, like, that makes sense, right? And then, but, like, it's different with, with Neeson than it is with, like, Cage or someone like that. Like... It just feels different because you know, like, I'm like, this is Oscar fucking Schindler. This is Oscar fucking yeah, Schindler he right here. And he would have freaked it as Neekin. Neekin, Jesus Christ. Uh, uh, Lincoln. Oh. Um, <laughs> he he would have been great. He would have freaked it. He I mean, I love, uh, look, yeah. I love Daniel Day-Lewis in that movie. Trust oh, me, I do. Mm-hmm. But Daniel Day-Lewis is so is good in everything. Like, like mm-hmm. that's almost an easy give to him. Like, I'm going to give you right. Lincoln. Well, of course he's going to fucking right. crush that. Like Liam Neeson, you, you kind of know what it looks like without even seeing. And, in a good way, Black yeah. Oh yeah, Men in Black International. Um, yeah, but but yeah, I I like Neeson. I just hope he comes back around. And I would love Spielberg to put him in something again because uh, I or mean Marty. he he just worked with Marty. I know. Work again. I, yeah. Well, and I'd argue he gave his two best performances in both of those this, films, in, both in both Silence films. and in Schindler's yeah. List. Um, yeah. And so, like, I would love to see him work with more auteurs who are going to just, like, give him a chance to do... I mean, like, what would Liam Neeson look like in a Wes Anderson film? Because, like, I've seen I, I've seen that clip a thousand times of him on the Ricky Gervais show where he's talking about the AIDS monologue. Have you seen that? 
It's the, it's that Ricky Gervais show extras, and uh, it's a fake thing. So like Liam Neeson is coming in. He wants to practice improv, or improvisation, as he always calls it. He wants to practice it with uh, Liam Neeson, or not with Liam Neeson, with Ricky Gervais. And so he's sitting there, and he's like doing improv, and he's the worst improv improviser ever. And uh, so so Ricky Gervais is setting him up. He was like, "So uh, how are things going on? How are things going on the railroad line?" And he's like. I've never worked on the railroad a day in my life. And I have AIDS. And it's like, <laughs> wait, what? I'm riddled with it. And it's like, what? It's just great. You need to watch it at some point. Uh, but knowing, but seeing that, I'm like, he could totally fit into a Wes Anderson movie. Wow. Okay, let's do some improvisational comedy. I can't now, Liam. It's a bad um, Let's do some improvisational comedy now. Okay. Give us a scenario. Um, right, okay. Uh, you're a hypochondriac and, and Ricky's a doctor. Excellent. Okay. Knock, knock. Come in. Hello. Oh, no, not you again. I've never been here before. Sorry, I, I thought, because you're a hypochondriac, you would have been to the doctors before. Don't presume. That's a backstory we didn't agree on beforehand. No, I know. That's improv, though, isn't it? You sort of go with the flow. I don't take notes. Okay. Can we go again? Yep. Because you ruined that. Sorry. Knock, knock. Come in. Hey. Hi, how's it going? What seems to be the problem? I've contracted AIDS. How did you get that? From an African prostitute. I'm... I'm riddled with it. The prostitutes from an African country that's, that's ravaged by starvation, so... Selling her body was the only financial recourse she had left. Do you mind if I interject for a second, sir? I just think it's getting quite heavy, this sketch, and I just wonder if, perhaps, just for the sake of comedy, you, you might not want to have contracted AIDS from a, an African prostitute, just... Mm -hmm. Okay. Right. Knock, knock. Come in. Hi, what seems to be the problem? As I said before, I've got full-blown AIDS. Right. Do you want to know how I got it? Sure. I'm a well-known homosexual actor. Wow. Okay. It was I wouldn't say the name just because of the... I got it from a non-specific actor. Does he know he has AIDS? Who? Again, I just, sorry, I just wouldn't name them. Um, and also, I just think uh, AIDS is, as I said before, just a really heavy subject for comedy. Ah, uh, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, good at battle cancer. Uh, yeah. Cancer, though, and AIDS and famine are just not really subjects for comedy. Well, how does he get away with it now? We don't know. Well, we shouldn't have a doctor in the sketch if I can't talk about AIDS. Okay. okay. How do you suggest that? Oh, um... You're a greengrocer and uh, Ricky comes in to complain. I've played Rob Roy McGregor, Michael Collins, Oscar Schindler, Zeus, for God's sake. No one's going to believe me as a greengrocer. We could change your accent. Lots of accents do that. Well, he doesn't. How does he get away with it? Again, we don't know. Let's just do our own accents and get this done, shall we? Okay, greengrocer. Tring. We're closed. I think the shop has to be opened for us to do the sketch. Okay. Okay, sorry. Tring. Yes. Um, I'd like to make a complaint. Uh -huh. I've, yeah, I bought some fruit here yesterday, and when I got home, some of it was rotten. 
That's not my fault. Well, you know, it's your shop and it was sold on your premises, so... Uh-huh. I uh, wasn't here. It uh, doesn't matter, you know, you've got to... I was at the doctor's. Okay. I've got AIDS. Thought you might have. Yep, that's it. That's really good. Yeah, no. That's gonna... You're gonna storm it, boy. Okay, brilliant. Good luck with that. Well done. Um, don't forget your little list. Yeah. Uh, you're off as well, aren't you, Warwick? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. Okay, see you guys. We're good. All right. Cheers. I'm surprised he wasn't in French dispatch. I feel like that he would just be in there smoking a, a cigarette. Well, we got Tom Hanks. Hanks. We got Tom Hanks in one finally, so now maybe we can get Liam Neeson in one. You um, can sort of see him as like the Liam Schreiber. Yeah. Part oh wow. Yes. Yeah. Brainstorming. Yeah. Mm. He, I would love to see him in some. I mean, just somebody like some auteur you know, put him in something. Because he's an incredible actor. Like, regardless of all these, like, sometimes cheesy action movies, like, he's still giving it his all. You know what he's not he's amazing in? The Lego which, movie. Oh, he's great in Lego movie, yeah. Isn't he's that crazy? When you think about that, he's like, he's like legit, like, maybe the best performance of that movie. Well, because mm-hmm. let me be clear, one of my favorite films of the last, like, decade is A Monster Calls. I adore that film. And oh, his voice... His voice work in there, yeah. His voice work in there is incredible. Like it's it's really well done. Um, And so yeah, on a head. All right, I see. Yeah, (laughs) a big J big J A Bayona fan, very much so. I'm excited about his new film, which seems like a remake of Alive. Um, But it it looks good, and yeah, I'm a big big fan of his. Other than the Jurassic World movie, which I think that whole new trilogy is garbage, but. Everything else he's yeah. done, I think, has been like five out of five for me. It does. It does suck that that would. That's just another casualty of like getting sucked into like the franchise. He did two Lord of the Rings but... episodes. Oh God. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. If he yeah. had done, I would say, if the first two thirds of of his Jurassic Park movie had been as stylish as the the third act, it okay. would have been a great film. I think that script is so horrific that there's probably no saving it, but there's a way to make it much better and what you just said is it. Like there's the one shot of the like of you know, the island blowing up and you see the brontosaurus uh, in the like in the fog and the smoke running you know, like in as you go farther and farther out and the smoke envelops it. That's a cool shot. There's some good music behind that. But Truly, the only time it's actually like a real movie is the third act. Uh, well, and that's I would when like they yeah. do the tension stuff and, and like the score kind of kicks in and the editing kind of is a little better with like how it manipulates the mansion and things like that and the uh, in you know the nighttime uh, aesthetic. But yeah, besides that though, it's a hot pile of garbage. I think that movie would work better if it was honestly just at the mansion. If Absolutely. It li- if Absolutely. it literally is just a two-hour. Like it was haunted, haunted house movie, right. with like people like with dinosaurs roaming the property and, and people no dialogue. Like yeah, because that's the thing about the Jurassic Park films. <laughs> all of them is that they are all so vast and so broad. You're covering the scope of this entire fucking island or resort. What would happen if you're literally in like a defined square foot of area trying to get away from fucking killer dinosaurs? That would be a cool concept. But they had to show us the fucking island burning, and they had to show us Chris Pratt running with a bunch of fucking dinosaurs. And I'm like, I'm like, I don't need that. Like this whole that whole trilogy has been one of the most disappointing, uh, like legacy experiences. Maybe the most for me. I almost walked out of so bad. 
Well, the first Jurassic World. I won't. I won't address. Made a billion dollars. I have a friend who wrote the. I have a friend who co-wrote the Dominion script, so I won't say that it's the worst of the three. But I bet, I'm just gonna I leave hope it your there. friend isn't Colin Trevorrow because we might have to end this podcast. <laughs> um, I mean, I'm in Book of Henry if you look close enough. No shit. Yeah, I'm joking entirely. Oh, okay. Well, I can't stand oh, that, Colin Trevorrow. That's a very believable lie. I Don't can't stand Colin. That's, that's a very believable <laughs> lie. No one would absolutely lie saying they they were in Book of Henry. People would lie that they weren't. Yeah, that's yeah. the perfect. That's the perfect like forgotten. Like, and you have a friend that wrote Dominion. Of course, I'm gonna believe that you were in Book of Henry. Are you fucking? That's not a crazy thing to believe. <laughs> uh, well, good. Then I accomplished. Um, but no, I. Do you, I guys are, you guys remember when he was gonna make Star Wars and they fired him? Oh, I do. That the, the only JJ good. Abrams the only placed. good thing that came out of uh, Jurassic or uh, out of Book of Henry. The only good thing to come out of it was him getting fired from Star Wars. Yeah, but that movie, all, but the movie he got fired off of also sucks. So it's one of those. Yeah. I don't. Wait, which one? It, so he didn't Rise get fired. He didn't get fired for Last Jedi. He got fired for Rise of Skywalker. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, that movie sucks. I don't know that I think it sucks. Um, wow, really? Okay. Well, I don't know okay. that I think it sucks. Like I. I don't think it's great, right? Like, I don't think it's a great film. I'm never going to argue that. That said, I think visually it's got some cool stuff. I think... Uh, yeah, when I think, it's not edited I, to shit. I think Carrie Fisher's death fucked their plans, and I think they had yeah, to completely true. rework That's shit. Yeah. And so I give them a little bit of grace for that. But that said, like, I actually was okay with them bringing the Emperor back. Like, I know a lot of people had a problem with it. I thought it made all the sense in the world. I'm like, if you're looking at the arc of this entire saga and you're looking at like what the real threat and the real menace has been the entire yeah. time, it makes sense to wrap up with the Emperor. Like that makes sense. And I was happy with it because I also thought their depiction of the Emperor in that film was really badass. Like I like an Emperor who can fucking stop ships in the air and who's like, I like that Emperor. I like it when right. they let their villains show the true capacity of their powers. It's like with Darth Vader in um at the end of Rogue One. Uh like when you when you when you see Darth Vader in that one little snippet in the hallway, just like destroying everybody, that is the first time we have ever gotten to see Darth Vader actually show his full power because until that point he's been injured he's not at full strength but there he is and you get to see like the full same with the obi-wan series you see him in like his fullest power potential and it's like it's pretty badass pretty badass when you get to see that i i i, I give it i give it a little extra grace I, I don't think it's as good as last jedi i, I okay I, well I, you now you just i'm that, you see the thing yeah. is when I hear someone who's like defends Rise of Skywalker, I'm like, oh, they they usually dislike the Last Jedi, and no. that's when I have an no. issue. No, right, right, I, right, right. I like it. I like Rise of Skywalker better than Force Awakens, but not as much as Last Jedi. Wow, that's the interesting. Okay, well, we, but we need, yeah, you need to get me. I don't know how Incinerator does Star Wars, but like, I don't know how we could do that. But I think they've already done Star Wars. Oh no, no, we haven't. Sorry, we haven't. No, I, thought, I was thinking screen draft. Sorry. No, um, incinerator get me no on we have not done 
we have not done Star, Star Wars. Wars. I will be. I can beat any Star Wars nerd over Star Wars knowledge that you have. I will. Well, how about this? Rush them. Well, how about this? I think the second best Star Wars movie is uh... Revenge of the Sith. Yep. I think it's yeah. the second best that's Star a, Wars movie. That's not a bad... Like, I hear a lot of takes like that. And I gotta rewatch the prequels because I'm such a Clone Wars head that I feel like... And I've, like, rewatched the sh- show that I feel like I might appreciate them more. Because I'll say this. It would be a five-star movie for me if it didn't have the Darth Vader Frankenstein no, no. at the end. Yeah. Then it would be five stars. It's four and a half right now. That one change would make it a five-star film for me. Well, I think the prequel era is my favorite era because it's. I, I'm a big clone guy. I love the clones. Um, I love the storytelling with clones. Don't ask me why. It's just how I am. Um, I and we're. I can't believe we're actually talking about this during our Sing Street episode. Um, I just yeah. noticed that like halfway through, I'm like, I'm talking about clones right now. I mean, I could be talking about Captain Rex, Commander Cody, but this is Sing Street. The Metaclorians, a, a different, you know, Cam Owens. Uh, uh, or Kaminoans? No, it's Kaminoans. Um, yeah. You know, Django Fett, DNA Helixes. Like, we can we can get into it. <laughs> so, I'm down to get I, into but anything. I, I am putting my fucking little flag into a Star Wars incinerator. And you can throw me all the Star Wars nerds you know, and I will beat Three, the shit out of six. them with my knowledge. How many do we have? So we have nine in the main. We have Solo... We have Rogue One. Yeah. So we have we have eleven total. Mm-hmm. Oh, it's not quite enough. Or Billy Ray can come back for Solo. Well, no, actually, we have twelve if you count the Clone Wars animated feature film that was released theatrically. Oh, that's right. It did go theatrical. That one did go theatrical. Still not quite mm-hmm. enough for an incinerator, though. You can. We can do. Oh. Because yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's just six, 16. Yeah, it's 16. 16. It's 16. Yeah. But I'm also thinking about... You can do the TV shows. I mean, yeah. I mean, that would be the thing, right? We would If we added... We got, Clone if Wars, we add, Rebels, Obi-Wan, Mandalorian. Ahsoka. Yeah, and, then it would work. Then it would work. Let's do Andor. it. Andor. Oh, yeah, Andor. Sorry, I got excited. I mean, Andor's, uh, Andor's clearly one of the best things they've ever done. Absolutely. Absolutely. Okay. We, we are on middle ground again. Right? Absolutely. I, I, I mean, yeah. yeah we could can... also throw in the fucking, like, the, last, the uh, Jedi Fallen Order fucking video games. Or well, I would throw it. Look, I am also an Obi-Wan fan of that series. I was a big fan of that series. Mm. I, think it's, I think it's really well done. I like parts um, of it. And, uh, and I just love every every second with darth vader in that series i think is yeah, great kills a kid oh my god he's just i just like <laughs> seeing serious, darth Jack, vader. he like chokes yeah. out a kid oh yeah in that in the show yeah. like i, I believe he, it he walks in this middle of the village it's actually the best part of the goddamn show um that i didn't like too much i thought it was fine i i, I like ewan um uh but like he you know goes into this middle of this village and just literally starts choking out civilians left and right just like innocent people yeah and you get this like, and it cuts back into like, oh, like, clo- like, like extreme close-ups of Obi Wan. Oh, it's actually pretty cool. When when he sets the fire and like drags Obi Wan through it, I'm like, damn, bo- damn, son, that's yeah. hardcore. Like, I love this. The Obi Wan Vader stuff's good. Everything else, I've. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, are There's you excited? An issue when your show is called Obi Wan. Are you excited about Ahsoka? 
I don't know. Book of Boba Fett was also not good. So no, Book of Boba Fett was not. But I am looking forward to more Hayden Christensen. So I'm gonna, I'm, I'm cautiously optimistic for Ahsoka for like five seconds. I, I doubt he's like because they also hyped him up for Obi Wan. It's like he was in the Vader suit in that one flash. We got him just enough, and I think we got him just enough in Obi Wan. I was like, that is just the right amount of Hayden Christensen. From what I got, it was fine. Um, Um, I. I love what Filoni has done. Filoni has created my the best Star Wars, their best stories in Star Wars, in my opinion, with the Clone Wars. Um, and like, I think Bad Batch is great. And I think a lot of great stuff is from Rebels. So I should be more excited about this. But I don't know. It's getting good reviews, um, which is yeah cool. Um, but I'll have to wait and see. I, I I just don't like the look of these Disney shows. I think they look kind of sure. shitty sure well yeah i mean i don't i mean Besides i don't andor. think they andor look. looks fantastic but they use well sets yeah. and not that volume bullshit. well it's also tony gilroy and he's just right. better than the, he's frankly mm-hmm. just better than the other people they've got running these absolutely. Shows. absolutely no offense to john favreau but john favreau ain't tony gilroy mm, offense uh, to john favreau uh i i i, <laughs> I, I, I like rick famayua that's the guy i like and i think dallas yeah. bryce you know uh Bryce Dallas Howard has directed a ton of Star Wars, Jack. I I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh no, you're talking to Jack. Yeah. Yeah. yeah well, yeah. yeah, I know Jack only knows. Yeah, she so she's done Mandalorian. She's done like yeah, like right. pretty much all of no, not all of them, but she's like directed a whole bunch of Mandalorian. Um, mm-hmm. Same as like Rick Famuyiwa and um, Taika, and, right? Taika, yeah. Uh, his episodes aren't actually too bad. Um, I like I like. Yeah. The first season of Mandalorian and up to the and pretty much most of the second season and then the third season I left midway. I'm oh, like, done. I'm, oh, I'm you done. left? Yeah. yeah, tapped out. I'm done. I I might re I might finish it later, but I was just kind of like I, I just I liked it better when it was hijinks, not this bullshit. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think Mandalorian. I don't know. I feel like I I just feel like man, there was only so much you could do with Mandalorian. And I almost feel like they've exhausted what they can do with just, that character. Just have it be flights of fancy. I don't need actual storylines or arcs. Just have well, it that's the thing him is, and Yoda do a bunch of bullshit. Well, that's the problem. Is like all of these series like exist to fill some gap in the Star Wars lore, and like I don't need those gaps filled. Like I would if, if if I like the characters enough, I'm going to follow them wherever they right. go. It doesn't have to fit into the biggest the bigger picture well that was the whole appeal of that first season of mando is this, it's adventure of the week it's like a fucking like yeah you know it's like a procedural not a, yeah like a procedural in a way it's just like yeah. uh, what hijinks are they getting into now it's like a saturday morning cartoon and that's what yeah. i loved about it like and then it starts like, like that luke skywalker and <laughs> lore and fucking mandalorian history i'm just like i don't care i don't care well, like funny enough, that's like what got my my dad to watch Mandalorian. That he just he didn't have to follow like it's what's the lore of yeah. There's an episode where he's like, yeah. okay, I gotta transport this dog, this uh, frog person to see his wife. That's the yeah. episode. Yeah. That was lovely. The simplicity of it. Yeah. There's no world stakes or whatever. It's just a bounty hunter and his little guy just doing some shit. And that was the best part. And then they're like, let's talk about the power structure of Mandalore. And de- and cloning and I'm just like I don't don't yeah don't care yeah. I don't care I yeah I don't really care either and I will I, I will say I like I do like I like Giancarlo Esposito 
I like bringing him in as a villain. That made a lot of sense, and I like him in it. But other than that, like, I mean, I just... the fr- I, I, I'll be honest, I haven't watched the third season yet. So, I haven't watched it at all. So, I've heard two or three people say that they were done. I am going to watch it, because I do... I am a completist on these series, even though it took everything I had to get through Book of Boba Fett. Um, which I think is I just still can't aw- believe awful. What was the I issue with it? That. It uh, it was nonsensical. It wasn't like written. It wasn't like an actual show. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was, no, it was completely bizarre. It, like I feel I I'm I was really excited because this was Robert Rodriguez coming off of Alita, and I'm just like, well, yeah. this is gonna rule, right? And no, <laughs> it looks it it's hor it hor- looks horrible. It's like the really? most fucking color like bland color palette, and, and the, the intrigue. The intrigue they're going for is non-existent. They no. take a whole episode out to devote to the Mandalorian to like wrap up. And that's the best. The episode. previous season of Mandalorian. They wrap up the previous season of Mandalorian in an episode of Boba Fett, and it is the best episode. And it just makes no sense. It's like they. I think the biggest. I'm the, a good actor too. It's like, why, like the why biggest problem. They never should have introduced Boba Fett into Mandalorian. Oh, absolutely. That's the problem. Because Ban. Ba- no, I'm not saying like. Look, as a kid, I love Boba Fett too. He was a cool Who character. Doesn't? But as but as an adult, I'm like, I don't give a shit about knowing that dude's story. Like, I mean, that's just me personally. But I'm like, I don't think he deserved his own spinoff yet. I well, think they rushed him an it. Evil bastard. They rushed like, it too soon. Right. They 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 saw how popular it was when he dropped on Mandalorian, and they rushed it too soon. And you can tell that they rushed it too soon. It just doesn't feel fleshed out. I think I, I my thing is I think Favreau is a fucking like geek who can't control himself and i and well, i think that's sure. my issue and the reason why i think andor is good is because i don't think tony gilroy likes star wars all that much. he doesn't he he's not yeah. telling a star wars story he's just telling a fucking like intrigue story and adventure story but he doesn't like, like disrespect anything but like he but he no. gets also back to the root like the political roots yeah. of what lucas was doing the anti-establishment anti-fascism anti mm-hmm. like you know total totalitarian regime uh, yeah. method, uh, uh, ideology, like the fucking yeah. the real like revolutionary stuff that people don't think about when they think about what Lucas was doing and yeah. what his yeah. po- like his political philosophy and thematics were during the prequels and especially the original trilogy. Like well, the fucking yeah. Empire dressed up like Nazis, and Tony Gilroy is like, "What if we made them Nazis?" Yeah, <laughs> and and but Gilroy also is like, I mean, and I hate, but like he's also smarter. Sorry to most of them. He's a much better Absolutely. writer. He's the he's by far the best writer on any of these shows. Like, I trust the guy who wrote and directed Michael Clayton or any other oh, sure. creators. And like and just just knowing how much the studio trusted him because he pretty much got to do whatever he wanted. Like he I think it was the most much, expensive show they made. Yeah, he had a blank check essentially to do whatever he wanted. So if if Kathy Kennedy and them were going to trust him enough to do that, I'm like. And him deliver like yeah, keep on bringing me stuff like this. I'm down for it. Like that's why all... I'm excited for. And I know no one's excited for any of these anymore because there's so much. But I am kind of excited for Dark Disciple, um, or not not Dark Disciple, oh. the uh, the Acolyte, the Acolyte. Yeah, yeah. Um, with Leslie he- Helen or Heland Headland 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 Yeah. yeah. Um, one, it's not connected to any of this bullshit. It's like a thousand or the thousand or like hundreds of years before Phantom Menace. And it seems like she kind of got to do what she wanted, because why would they make any mandates for this bullshit? It's one yeah. thing when they're trying to 
con- like quality like you know quality control Boba Fett or Luke Skywalker. But yeah. with when it's just like all these bunch of new characters uh, that are randomly in that make no connection, sure do it. Yeah, I mean, why not create? I mean, I'm all about just create whole new mythologies like a hundred years before. Absolutely. That, like, like I want to see new characters. If you want to look, I don't mind the occasional name drop or something that ties something together. But when you're building something around the existence of previous. Yeah. Except I, it just is less interesting to me. That's why I've kind of gotten marveled out. Like I, I, oh, I went done. through, I went through the first thing through Endgame, and I was like, you know what? I'm glad I did this. It was an interesting journey. I felt like I, got, I got what I wanted in the end. And by the third or fourth film in this new iteration, I'm like, I just don't fucking care. I'm just doing Daredevil yeah. at this point. I'm waiting for Daredevil, and then that's all I'm gonna watch, and then I'm probably good. Yeah, I. I just don't even know. Like, I don't even know if I'm... I mean, I've seen everything so far, but I've not enjoyed the last few things I've seen. I haven't, and I used to be a huge MCU. I had a fucking Infinity War poster in my room, framed. Well, I think part of it is what they did through Infinity War, for a lot of reasons, was so impressive in terms of how they managed to consistently and efficiently get all those films out build up this story to keep it going for so long and then to have it pay off in a way that i felt was actually pretty satisfying yeah, like game is good i like no one else has done anything on that scale in film history it's just never been done on that scale not really, how do you no. top that how do you top that like how do you top mm-hmm. that you're not going to top that with the fucking eternals you're not going to top that with like a third ant-man movie like what are you doing like they're trying to capture lightning in a bottle a second time and i think they're discovering you can't if you look at how po- how poorly Black Panther two did box office wise in comparison yeah. to the first one, you're like, oh, this is there's a problem. This is a problem. No yeah. one care. Even the most exciting one, even the most exciting movie you could possibly with a an actual established filmmaker uh, making a sequel to a beloved movie, and people were like, I'm okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And of People course, Bozeman, ha, Bozeman has a lot to do with it too. So, I, but it, it's still one of those things where you're just like, "Wow, yeah." And this, and this, and th- now they are finally losing money. Ant Man and the Wasp was yeah. a flop critically, yep. and um, and now and the TV shows are now going to pause on because they're TV also shows. not doing well. I liked Loki though. That was the thing, I, and I'm going to probably watch season two. I liked Loki. I yeah. think that was fun because that's like because yeah. that's like doc, like Marvel's version of Doctor Who, and I'm like, I will yeah. watch this. Yeah. yeah. Guardians three is probably. I have not last. seen it. I'm such an idiot. Base head. I've not seen. I'd it. imagine. Yeah. I saw. I saw Guardians three. Well, it goes to show too. Like just they're awesome. Yeah. How uninvested you know. I am. Yeah. Right. I, right. Right. I. Just... Guardians has always been my favorite of that <clears throat> of that French of favorite franchise in the MCU. Mm-hmm. I did. I certainly didn't like the third one as much as the first or second one. I think those mm-hmm. first two are so amazing. I liked the third one, but it's 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 shaggy, right? It's yeah. it's it's messy in the way the other yeah. two's aren't. I would I'm 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 glad James Gunn's done with that. Like I I just want mm. more Peacemaker. Give me more Peacemaker, mm. and I'm fine. So I think that's the best superhero thing around right now. I think it is so You're not funny get it for like ten years, my friend. I don't care. I don't care. 
I just love it so much. Like it's awesome. I, it's great. For about for about a year after that thing premiered, I watched that opening theme every day for for like strength and energy because it's just so great. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, John Cena's a fucking legend. Yeah. Okay, He's we need great. to talk about Sing Street. Yeah. I'm just, I was just gonna. I was just gonna say. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> I. That's a great segue to get into Sing Street. Um, we are now putting on our costumes for the music video we're about to we're about to film. And let's have you, Billy Ray, go first about sure. your experience with the film and how it came into your life, and if you had seen the other sure. uh, John Carney movies before or sets. Your mother and I really are under a lot of pressure at the moment. We had a look at our accounts and... We're taking you out of school. We're not taking you out of school. We're transferring you. You'll be new then. What's your name? Connor Lawler. Shut up! We have a black shoe policy here, Mr. Lawler. They're brown. They're quite sensible. They're not black. Who knows what this new prison will do for you? This is your time. You see? It's beautiful. How come you're not in school? I'm a model. Cool. Do you want to be in a video for my band? See, if you're in a band, sing me a song. Take on me. We need to form a band. What? Connor's going to band together. Oh, good Jesus. You'd play every instrument known to mankind. Probably. Show them. It's all about the girl, isn't it? What's this? All work. School in the morning. This is school. Rock and roll is a risk. You risk being ridiculed. Jesus, what are you all wearing? Yeah, we're just working that out. That's great fun. Yeah, it's really fun. Have you kissed her yet? She's got a boyfriend. Pulled off in his car, music blaring. What was he listening to? Genesis. No woman can truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins. So who guy with the car? It's complicated. As long as you're happy. You are truly on a hero's journey. Are you up to that? I think she's just an amazing human being. Think big, Connor. End of term disco at the school hall. I say we ask if we can play it. It's our first gig. It's going to be amazing. I'll try and come. You have to come. Not exactly the Beatles, is it? I actually love this band. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I I so this I saw this in 2016. I was living in Los Angeles at the time. Um, I'm I'm a at this point I'm a massive john carney fan so um i've seen on the edge i've seen once i've seen begin again i loved once i thought begin again was terrific um so i am primed i'm primed for sing street at this point yeah and uh it just kind of blew me away i i remember it was a sunday afternoon probably like three or four o'clock i was at the pasadena limley back when that was still standing rest in peace pasadena limley and uh and yeah, I, I just, it kind of floored me. It hits all of the notes. Like, I am such a sucker for, like, 
British teenage angsty films. Like, that's entirely my bread and butter. Make it a musical on top of that and an 80s musical at that. Like, you're just speaking every single language that I know. And so uh, it just immediately was my favorite film of the year. I championed that film all year long. Uh, I, I felt like... I feel like me and Adam Kempinar from Film Spotting were the only two people that were like consistently beating the drum. Like, this is an excellent film. Like, you need to check this out. And it did. I remember it doing. Um, it did. It didn't do great at the box office, right? Like, Begin Again did well. Like that yeah. was Mark Ruffalo and and Keira Knightley. It did Keira well. Knightley once was obviously kind of a breakout hit because it only cost one hundred fifty thousand dollars to make Sing Street didn't do as well and that was always a big bummer for me and i felt like it's kind of been my mission since then to make sure more people know about it to make sure people have seen it and um you know if it would have gotten nominated for an oscar which it should have been for best like song once that would have like helped once it had the oscar win bump and you could have and you could have nominated like four different songs from this film would have would have been perfectly acceptable for an oscar nomination um, yeah, but they didn't right. do it, and so I've just yeah, I've just been obsessed with this film ever since. I think it is it is so sweet and warm and fun, and the music's great, and it's shot brilliantly. And I just think John Carney is one of the best doing it, frankly, right now. When mm. people talk about the great uh, writer directors out there, you never hear people mentioning John Carney, and I think he's just one of the best. He's written three original musicals. Mm-hmm. Like who's done that? Who else has done that? Who's making movies today? Nobody. Like that's yeah. impressive in itself. Yeah, and all of them are consistently really good. Yes. Um, yeah, and he's a good and a I, great director. Have you have you by chance seen Flora and Son? Got a chance to see it early? I have not seen Flora and Son yet. I've heard good things. Uh, mm-hmm. But I have not seen it yet, no. Uh, but I'm. Yeah. it's one of my most anticipated, for sure. And, it, and we're getting it in, like, a month, and it seems like it's just more of the same of, like, yeah, like, like a strong two-hander yeah. um, romance, you know, romantic musical comedy. But yeah. that sort of has its has – it's a very – and that's what I like about it, that it's like he's a very easy watch, you know. Yeah. Uh, discovering – Sing Street for myself in 2016 um, from What the Flick, Eliza oh. Duraldi and Chrissy Lemire's old oh yeah I YouTube know. show old Bibbs um, or a bit well Bibbs yeah, not Bibbs yeah William Bibbiani yeah he yeah, was yeah. on there and then what's William, his name occasionally uh, Matt, Matt, Matt Ashley yeah. yeah 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 and and that that you know that was I'm still a recommend a lot of I'm still a breakfast I'm all a breakfast day all day fan, fan yeah. too yeah yeah same but it's uh it's you know because it's funny it's like that. That, I mean, you know, they were kind of like, not, I guess that you're taking back to the idea of like that was my, or not not my own, but it's like that that was another Cisco and Ebert, and you would have like you know critics like on but like in an online space, we, reaching a wider audience, uh, talking about new releases, uh, and for me it's like they, that was the crew that would always like recommend things that yeah. that I would then take an account for. Sing Street was a big one. I would listen to the soundtrack a lot. Uh, Right, like you stole it was like on my Spotify rap for that year. I remember yeah. that. Um, and then, you know, I think I was in high school when this came out. And then in college, I went back to Once and Begin Again. Never, I still haven't seen On the Edge, but you know, um, it has one of uh, Clay's 
crushes in that film early role for Killian Murphy. Oh. Uh, is, Killian, is Killian Murphy a crush? Yeah. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, I'm not, uh, I'm not it, it, sexually I, I, attracted to the man, but I am a, 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 a phys, I'm everything else attracted to the man. So if Killian Murphy walks up to you right now, knocks on your door, is like says, is like, "Hey, let's go fool around." What do you say? <laughs> Make out, but no butt butt stuff. That's my. That... <laughs> Make out, but no butt stuff. Got it. Got it. Uh-huh. I think Killian would be okay with that. Yeah, I would make out with him. I want to be clear yeah. about this. I would so, absolutely make out with Killian Murphy. I don't. So, yeah, but I, I, I'm not queer, but I would make out with him. So you want to be the wind that shakes his barley? <laughs> Man, I couldn't have said it better myself. I want to be the peaky that blinds him. Oh, nice, nice. It wasn't. I, thanks for thanks for well, thanks for giving me uh, some pity, but no, it wasn't. Well, that also, nice. also, it, I. It, I would encourage you not to do butt stuff because you could be feeling it 28 days later. Oh, I was just going to make that. Oh, I was just going to say that. Billy and, if, and, it, and if you don't use oh and if you don't use protection, you could be feeling it 28 months later or 28 he's weeks not, later. No, he's not yeah. in that one. Good try, though. Yeah. Oh, it's okay. It's connected, though, goddammit. Um, but no, uh, yeah, On the Edge is good. On the Edge is good. You can certainly see that. You can certainly see him sort of like figuring out the kind of filmmaker he's going to be there but he's was really by the touch by Murphy, the time yeah like that's he's real irish yeah, well it's so funny because i think i'd always assumed once was his debut but then when florence son was at sundance i looked back at his filmography and was like oh there's only before once uh and yeah it was like the breakout yeah. yeah it's and it's and it's good and it's like but that said is like it, once he just came fully formed like yeah. once, like he comes yeah. as a fully and Clay. That maker. once is a very Irish film as well. Like you know, yeah. Like, I mean, his name's like Joe is... Carney. Of course, he's Irish. Yeah. John Carney. Oh, John well, Carney. Right. Yeah. John Carney. Now that actually makes more sense. There's no Irish person named Joe. Well, but see, and that's and and that's and I think that's what I like about the trajectory of his career. He makes once, which is very indie. He then mm-hmm. makes Begin Again, which is a much bigger sort of film. You got Mark Ruffalo. You've got Kira Knightley. It's got a budget behind it. You know, he's got backing. Then he makes Sing Street, which is... That was like Focus Features, I think. Like uh, I think that's studio. right. Uh, Weinstein Company. Weinstein, right, of course. Yeah. But then he does Sing Street, which is like a blend of the both of those. It's like, it takes the like fun positivity mm-hmm. and the pop of Begin Again, but then mixes it with kind of like some of the angst and some of the longing of once. And it's like, mm-hmm. and it's my favorite mm-hmm. film of his. It's just, it's become my favorite film of his, absolutely. Um, and it's, you know, when I'm thinking about my favorite films of the past decade, it's top three. Like, it's, yeah. it's right up there for me. And certainly still an overlooked one, because like you sure. already mentioned, that this is one that the ones that love it really do have a have a task to champion it. Because um, I think for me, it is it is one that is quite easy to love. Then again, it is like, it's... I looked through the letterbox ratings and all of them were quite positive. The ones that aren't positive are like, it does tip over into the side of saccharine rather yeah. than sincere. Right. I disagree. But then it's like, I don't, I, but here's, here's my thought is like, I just don't know how to tell. It's, it's like, maybe, maybe I do, but it's like for this, I just wouldn't think of that since that is such a thin line between the two. I don't know. What do you guys think? It's, it's I, tricky, you know. I think 
it depends on whether or not I feel the filmmaker manipulating me or not. And I think that's the difference. And I think when I'm watching a film and and the music is swelling and the acting is shifting and the lighting is shifting and I can tell what the filmmaker is going for, that's when I start to register and I'm like, okay, this is getting into saccharine territory. I don't feel that at all with this film. I don't feel like Carney is like, I don't think he's exploiting the music that way. I don't feel like he's exploiting the way he's shooting it or what he's getting from the actors. I think anything that people are feeling as saccharine or overly sentimental is just coming from like the natural the natural relationships from the performers, frankly, and that's just subjective. Like that's just uh, or that's just you know, that's fine if people take that. I just disagree with it. I think there's I don't think there's a saccharine bone in this film's body. Um, I think Begin Again makes that mistake a couple of times. I think I think you can look in that film and see examples of where maybe there's some manipulation going. I mean, every filmmaker is manipulating you. I'm not meaning like that's the whole that's what a director does, but it's mm-hmm. it's the way they're doing it. And so like yeah, I just I disagree with that, but I I might be in the minority there. That's okay. Mm-hmm. I yeah. I, I I have the same issue too, Zach. I I sometimes can't tell. Um I think the only so I have not I don't think I've seen any of his other films um, I've seen this so Sing Street this is my second time seeing it I saw it first back in when it came out because this was a movie that when it came out and like in almost once it was out like you know it was in and out of theaters pretty quickly but like almost the moment it was out of theaters all the critics were like well, wait a minute. This is actually pretty good. And they were like, like this is like a hidden gem. Like I got this for, like a lot of the like, you know, the YouTube critics at the time I was following were like Sing Street. It's actually pretty good. And, you know, like on top 10 lists and things. And I'm like, Sing Street. Yeah. I shall check this out. What could this possibly be? Um and I watch it and I fucking love it when I first see it. Um I think it's so funny. I think it's really like So yeah, November 6th 2016 like oh i want to watch this independent film how curious uh (laughs) because this was a time when i was just like all right i watch all the studio stuff and then i call it a day um but then you know this is pure not a lot of top 10 lists and i'm like well curious we'll see what it is it's such an easy recommend also oh yeah it's a total plot crowd please watch there's not an alienating thing in this whole movie um and it has it has this like positive masculinity vibe to it which i really appreciate like you know being like yeah wear your makeup i forgot about that share your share your feelings with your brother or like you know have a close relationship with your brother too and that kind of just and you know don't be a toxic male um and that's and it's not the first thing i think of when i think of this movie but it's like yeah it's like certainly a part of it you know yeah i i think positive masculinity is one of my favorite things in art it's the thing that makes me feel warm inside. Like that's why I love like a show like Psych, when it's about like these this this friendship with these two like the, like it's about this the best friend these two guys being yeah. best friends and getting on and being like on hijinks and stuff. But it's also well, a sweet show. I just I was just on the Force Five podcast recently and we did an episode all about. What my podcast fa- are you not on? Well, I want to it, actually ask. none none. But we we did a whole episode on. I chose platonic male friendships because everything like every screenplay I write 
has that as a like I'm fascinated by it and I'm fascinated by it from the context of a queer person, a gay person who grew up in a very rural part of Alabama who all of my friends were straight. Like all of my friends were straight. And in some weird way I feel like I was able to be closer and more intimate with them in ways that I could have been other gay guys just because of the situations we found ourselves right, in. Right, of course. And so I'm fascinated by those because that's something I look for in films. And so I will recommend to you an incredible film mm-hmm. called The Eight Mountains, uh, which is uh, came out this year on the festival circuit. It's from the filmmakers who did uh, Broken Circle Breakdown a few years ago. Oh, uh, yes, yeah. And it is that film. Yeah. And it's, it's about the friendship of these two guys, a platonic friendship between two guys that spans multiple decades. And it's about mm-hmm. a three-hour, two-hour, and 40-minute movie. It is incredible. Favorite film of the Luca. year so far. Oh. Yeah, it is, a, it is a tremendously wonderful film, and it will scratch mm-hmm. that itch. Yeah, absolutely. And, that, and, this is, and that was just one of those experiences when I was watching it that really stuck with me. The brother relationship is obviously the thing yeah. that I think mm-hmm. of the most when I think of this movie. Because um, mm-hmm. I think also Jack Rayner is fucking terrific. He really is. Yeah. I've, been, um, I've been told I look, I look like him. I can see that. I can see that. Yeah, but no, the, I I do think of this being Jack Rayner's breakout, which which he's fabulous uh, in lots of things since then. This was the first yeah. thing that I saw him in. Yeah. Um, it was. He his sounds breakout. like a Terminator character, Jack Rayner. <laughs> yeah, I can see that as well. Um, yeah, he's yeah. great. He's great. Yeah, and this is kind of his breakout for sure. I mean. He, he had done some stuff before this, but nothing on any kind of major scale. Yeah. Um, and, uh, I mean, the cast universally, like, uh, Ferdia Walsh-Pilo is really great in the lead role. Yeah, who was pretty much, who was like a, an unknown. Yeah, and hasn't done much since. I mean, he was First in Coda. Time. He was in Coda, yeah. but that was, you know, hasn't mm-hmm. done a ton besides that. Obviously, Aiden Gillen. Maria Joel Kennedy is quite yeah. good. Aiden Gillen from Game of Thrones yeah. is really fun. Reptile and The Wire. I, so this is my philosophy. Aiden Gillen and Vincent Cassell are repti- rep- reptilian men, and that they uh-huh. are not human. That is my. That's my. I that's think my that's. Theory. I think that's a okay. fair statement to make. They're reptilian. They're not. Uh, real. Do you have uh, what's it proof evidence? No. Or... Look at their face and tell me they're not reptiles. They're reptiles. goddammit. Mm-hmm. Uh, I would. I would also throw Tim Blake Nelson into that. that absolutely. Mix, but, um, absolutely. He is also a reptile. A rep- as well. Also a reptile. Um, but I will say this is Lucy Boynton's movie as far as I'm concerned. Like mm-hmm. this is like such a breakout for her. She's so great. Like she gets so much to work with and she owns every second of it. Like I remember walking out of here thinking of Lucy Boynton and Jack Rayner. That's the two people mm-hmm. I thought of when I walked out of this movie the first time. And, and they still strike me more the more I watch. I've seen this film probably 20, 25 times at this point. Um, and, uh, but everybody's great. And, like, I mean, and, you know, shout out to, like, the production design, which is so spot on. Like, I'm so, like, anally overbearing on films set in the 80s because I'm very meticulous about what I want my 80s films to look like. And if I see you fucking something up, I will literally be in the theater being like, uh-uh, <laughs> uh-uh. Like, that came out in 83. That didn't come out in 84. Like, or something like that. And, like, it's got all of its details so like completely woven in it's it's just really impressive like they did the work which i appreciate jack when is your birthday october 25th what year 99 
So the lead actor of the film, uh, Ferdia Walsh Pilo, uh, mm-hmm. was born on October 12th, 1999. I was oh. thinking it was close, and I was I, I was hoping it was actually on the right date. I knew it was in October, so but October 20th. Yeah. Re- I was worried about the Saccharin thing rewatching it just to get to back to that mm. point because I think that's what I was yeah, going right, to right. lead up to and you asked me like whether you know how can you tell or like whether you think it's Saccharin or not I I thought that was going to be my case rewatching it because it was mm. you know I was quite you know, I was 16 when I first watched it you know young dumb full of cum um, and just like willing to see all the positive things with life and just like oh this is great i loved it it was awesome cool um you know it's like oh it's happy it makes me happy he gets the girl isn't this great um and watching again i was worried i was gonna like not me and there are maybe moments where i'm like it it almost it's almost too neat like um, sometimes Mm -hmm. it feels like it wraps too much like it's too neat it wraps up too neat in a bow like how everything comes together at the end when they make fun of the principal and all, all these like things that are you know very like you know and the thing with the bully like, yeah it all just, just like sorta, it's very it, it yeah. is very clean mm-hmm. but do i feel like it is emotionally manipulative no because there is not some debt he's not being abused by his parents he is not being like he doesn't have this horrific life he has. Yeah. He lives in Ireland, and his two parents argue a lot. That's it, and they're going through a divorce. There's not like some crazy tragic backstory, and the yeah. only tragic backstory is with um, uh, Rafina, and the thing with mm-hmm. Rafina. And but they they don't use that as a crutch. There's no like, well, oh, you know, my dad. I've never really been the same. Like they mention it, they talk about it, but they don't use. They, there's not this crazy moment in the film where it all come. Her tragic backstory comes together, and it's like you need to cry right now, motherfucker. Um, it's like it's sweet. It's a sweet yeah. film, but there's like, but no, like the brother doesn't start slobbering over uh, his other brother. Like they're like they have this like nice little hug, and that's really it. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Well, and they well, support each other, but they're not like yeah. the. But, but yeah, no, I don't. I don't believe it. It felt pretty to the point and did not feel artificial. Yeah, because the film understands. Like for me, it, it it's like it understands that there's a give and take. Uh, you know, right. the, the the parents are separating, and that there's they're uh, okay parents. And they're they're doing their best, and yeah. that there's a conflict that. Um, that the brothers can only understand so much of, but then in return, that will bring the brothers closer together and and, and sort of be well, more vulnerable with each other. It's more realistic, but and I think that's that's why I enjoy that relationship because when people, a lot of the times when tragedy is depicted in films, it's very operatic. Right. It's very big. It's this momentous thing, and this it's not at all. It's like, well, our parents aren't getting along. They're getting divorced. It sucks. We're gonna have to figure it out. And, like, that's pretty much what it is. And so, yeah, it is this big operatic thing for these two kids, I'm sure. But, like, as it is for a lot of kids who are, you know, who are involved in divorce. But the filmmaker isn't using it as some big operatic, like, device to make the engine of the movie run. Like, it's just, it's it's more, 
it's more the carburetor of the engine than it is the gas of the engine and i think that's what and that's what makes it work for me instead of it being this big thing and like just kids dealing with kid shit they're dealing with divorcing parents they're dealing with bullies they're dealing with first crushes they're dealing with kid shit yeah um and and there's the and and in kid realizations uh and and moments of clarity that you're unsure if it'll stick in that moment but yeah upon reflection it's one of those like seminal moments that that do have a lasting impact like uh the moment when you know rafina is unable to continue their relationship or the moment when he's like have you guys seen back to the future and everyone looks like really confused and it's like it's like when you test the water for something you're like oh everyone surely has yeah has seen x thing but then they're like what are you talking about well when i think back to when i was that age and like when i learned lessons or i learned what i would consider like life truths back when i was young dumb and full of other people's cum um, <laughs> now i'm now i'm old cold with an empty bowl and um mm. and so when i was a young man like half of those lessons that i learned in the moment i probably forgot a week later right and then and then years later it will come back to you like something will happen and then and then you'll have those moments when when you'll be like oh shit I remember when this happened and like, oh, why didn't I learn my lesson then? And like, I feel like this movie has a lot of that appeal to it for me. Where, Like you said, like, I don't know that any of the lessons they learn in this, they're going to have a year later because they're kids. Like they're young. Like who knows where they're going to be a year from here. All of this shit that we see depicted in this movie could mean nothing a year from then. It could like, cause they're kids. They're doing kid things. Life is changing really quickly. And I like that. I like that the stakes don't have to be forever. They can just be in the moment. They can just be now. The the, the state the stakes can be now and not forever. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's that temporary mistake that that Carney tries to nail down, and I think that's that's the shade of of teenagehood that is nailed down and and prevents it from from being emotionally manipulative because it's coming from a place when um, uh, um, Connor's passion for music isn't all that, uh, like, it's not all that shared because it's like, you're sort of like on this island in Ireland and like sort of isolated from the rest of the UK and like, you just got your like little tiny circle of friends that, are trying to like share like your your obsessive personality and it's like you gotta understand like at that moment it's like so different for someone to like express their love for an art form yeah uh yeah because i you know it's kind of like for any other movie it would be kind of a cheap it would it would be a cheap pull to have at that time be the whole thing hovering around that movie but it's like the early 80s when like you know those kinds of bands would be the inspiration it just wouldn't be as um it wouldn't be as uh common for someone like connor to be like like brendan has done it i've seen a band happen i know what are the steps started to do and he's but no like this thing that he's doing is just homemade 
right? Yeah. I find that interesting. He doesn't really have someone to look up to um, until it's revealed that, you know, Brendan has been in a similar position. Yeah, yeah. And and I, I, I like, I mean, I, I like the, the types of music they're going for here. Like, I like... You know, I like that in the midst of the original, I mean, I like that they're focusing on Duran Duran, the jam, you know, Hall and Oates, like, I, you know, that very much songs that I can imagine a British teenager kind of becoming obsessed with back in the 80s. Like, the music, the, you know, the music direction, the music consulting here is really top-notch, which doesn't get, like, music supervisors don't get near enough credit in films, and uh, it is such an important position and it can make or break a film. And I think this is a good example of it. If you have a bad music supervisor, your film's going to suffer. This one, fortunately, did not. But um, I can think of a host of other films that have not been so lucky. All the songs here are kind of bangers. And I, I think and I think that's insanely hard for a film to do. Because usually one of them yeah. is going to suck. Because... Uh, sure. It's kind of, I feel like songs made in films, like the idea that the characters are making the songs, it's almost, sometimes you almost want to call them fake songs because they're created in a fictional context. Um, yeah. But, you know, they're real songs and they're quite good. Um, you could maybe even argue too good um, for, like, the context of the film, uh, but that's silly. Who would do that? Yeah. I... I do think, though, if you don't have at least some of these songs be as catchy as they are, you are, one, fucking annoyed with this whole idea and just hearing the music over and over again. And second, yeah. you don't buy a lick of what they're selling. Um, and I think what also helps the whole music aspect of how how fluid and... What's the word I'm looking for? How, uh, how, e not easy, but it, how natural, that's the word, how natural it looks like when they are creating the music in that, those brainstorming yeah. stages. It, it, it flows really easily. It does not feel like there's this, uh, I, there in this, in Straight Outta Compton, uh, there is a scene where Dr. Dre is just fucking around on the piano and he just find and he just makes the beat for, uh, I think it's gin and juice or ain't, or nothing, ain't, nothing ain't, nothing ain't for a G thing. It's one yeah. of the two. And I'm pretty sure it's also a cover, um, like, or not a cover, a sample. Um, but yeah. he just like for, you know, fooling around on the piano for like 20 seconds, he finds the beat for the song. And yeah. obviously it's a biopic in different contexts, but it's like so it's just like Jesus fucking Christ, come on, like let's yeah. Do we have to roll our eyes on all of these kind of like little? This is when they made this song. This is when they made that yeah. song. Um, and like you know, and like fuck the police. Like the real story is that uh, they got arrested because they were shooting paintball guns at people, not that they were just randomly harassed on the street. Um, yeah. so it's like things like that where you're just like, this is just pure farce. Well, um, they but, act like movies act like every song that's created is created in this magical, like, holy shit kind of way. And it's so generally the opposite. No, it's just like, what if we did yeah. this? And you're like, yeah. Or, you know, we can add that, I guess a little bit. What does it mean? I'm not even sure. Like things like that is like this, like yeah. kind of new, this, this, um, this cat, 
this casual casual uh, casualness of creating a song and the back and forth that feels like really natural and just like you know hit like oh that's actually a good idea well and i'll i'll say a film that does a good job of showing you the messiness of creating that is love and mercy the brian wilson feature and uh which i was just gonna bring this up they spend so much time in the studio in the recording sessions and like you see how the song comes to life and like you see the mistakes that are made you see the little moments of inspiration you see that it is a full-time job they're there for eight to ten hours a day every day and it's like you have no idea how badly i want to cover it it's a great film it's It's one of my favorites fucking underrated it's so good and 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 one of john john cusack's best performance in years in years yeah Yeah, like yeah it's so good yeah i love that film and then the other film i was going to mention too which is similar i mean similar to this film in certain ways there's a film from 2014 called god help the girl Mm-hmm. And it's a lovely musical. It's all Bell and Sebastian music. So Bell and Sebastian, it's all yeah. of their songs. They did the whole score for it. And it's Ollie Alexander, huh. and it's a really gatecrest, and it's about these young kids, sort of. Uh, and it's it's similar in spirit to Sing Street, but you get more of that mess. It's messier. Like, it's, it's, it's more probably, in certain ways, it's more whimsical and idealistic, but in other ways, it's messier, and you get the real sense of, like, people coming up with music and coming up with ideas in, like, an organic, real-time way. Instead of, like, the Glee thing, where, like, everybody just is already, <laughs> everybody knows the song automatically. They know the choreography. We never, when do we ever see those motherfuckers rehearse? Never. Yeah. And it's like, how are yeah. you so good? Like, that's the worst thing Glee introduced to society, in my opinion. Um, but, um, but yeah, Love and Mercy is, and God Help the Girl recommendations there. It is, it is interesting seeing that, like, the, I, it could, but for uh, biopics especially, of course, they have that obsession with, like, really watering down, like, the great singer-songwriters to, like, these big moments and not really caring about the finer details and just like writing their screenplay based off Wikipedia article, you know, it's like, we know all this, but then, um, yeah, to, to look at the, the band from Sing Street is, it is funny to be like, they're like the scrappiness yeah. is what a lot of the, uh, biopics just ignore. Yeah. And it's like that, that origin it's like what what makes this so good. It's what Carney understands where it's like your youthful beginnings are what made you special. Yeah. And it's not like he's telling this. I mean, you know, it's it's obvious, but it's it's so obvious. It's like you tend to forget how how true, how hard it is. It's a bit like how acting it's like it's hard to play like an ordinary person. It's like telling a story of this. Uh, that's that's this profound. Um, yeah. And can be about this time in your life while also like having this sense of self-discovery i think it's like you know a bit of a a trick that john carney will pull off that's like no like the band will be some sort of success because connor allows it to it's not like um it's not like he got the girl because it was it was a success right it's just finding himself and like reconnecting with brendan like it can be a success in other ways, uh, which we understand that Connor sees. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, I'm generally not a fan of musical biopics. I it, it takes a lot for me to really identify with one, mm-hmm. and because I just they're all so. I mean, like I think Bohemian Rhapsody is one of the worst fucking films ever made. Um, on the on that the, that we can agree on. <laughs> on the contrast to that, I think Rocket Man is underrated. Mm-hmm. Um, I think Rocket Man is actually an interesting film. I don't think it's great, but I think it's interesting. Shockingly, same director. Um, mm-hmm. But um, but yeah, like I like, you know, I'm not there. That's an interesting biopic, right? Like that's a yeah. different take on a biopic. Like I like um, Last Days, the pseudo Kurt Cobain, mm-hmm. Gus Van Sant. Like like those are the kind. Of, like I want to see something out. Twenty four hour party people. Like mm-hmm. those are like I, I just if it's a if it's like Ray or Walk the Line or Bohemian Rhapsody, Velvet Gold or like a Velvet Goldmine. Yeah, yeah, like, but if it's like, and of course all, a lot of that just has to do with the filmmaker, right? All the films that I'm mentioning that I respond to are generally films that have an auteur behind them. Like, they have a Todd Haynes, they have a Gus Van Sant, you know? Mm-hmm. And the other films don't, for the most part. Like, um, you know... What, Taylor Hackford isn't on the level of... Uh, I look, you know, I, like Taylor, I like Taylor Hackford, he's not on their mm-hmm. level. No, he, I don't consider... Right, right. He's not an auteur, he's a journeyman director. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. He's just at home doing a thriller as he is a drama, as he is a biopic, as he is a comedy. Like, he can do everything. And in some ways, that makes him a better director in some ways. But not in the artistic way or the ways that I think really count. Um, and, but yeah, I mean, biopics are a tough, you know, a tough thing. Like, Sing Street, I, you know, I, I think where Sing Street excel. I mean, it's not a biopic for one, so it has that. It doesn't have to worry about kind of breaking out of that mold. But, um... I think where it excels is I just think in its like its exuberance and its energy, and I think its spirit's really light and fun, and um, you know, and and I I frankly I've never turned anybody onto this film that hasn't loved it. I've never had someone watch this film for the first mm-hmm. time and be like, eh, it didn't measure up. Yeah, and that's something really special. Oh um, yeah, when you can find something that has that accessibility but also like did you can recommend something for um for that long that it doesn't have to have relevance like in 2016 right like when when people are talking right. about it like i find like like i find that for some time i mean you know not all the time again maybe generalizing but i find that with some films that um that participate in Oscar, in award season where it's like uh, i don't want to like talk about that anymore it's just so like yeah overly discussed but then it's just like yeah i mean like you know obviously a film can have a life outside of its war season it's more just like because it was well, so overly analyzed well like El- elvis is a good example good recent example it's a great right? example yeah, yeah. yeah that's and example. and i i'm and i'm an, i liked elvis i'm a big fan of elvis i'm one of the ones who beat yeah. the drum you know say what you want about boz lerman nobody makes films like him and no one, I think, is able to capture, like, momentum the way he is cinematically. Like, his films just build and build until they erupt. And and he's one of the best at doing that. And, you know, that said, I mean, Elvis is, for the most part, a pretty straightforward traditional biopic. It's just a straightforward traditional biopic in the hands of a madman. And so yeah. it seems like it's more than it actually is. But if you dig below the surface and you look at it, it's really just a straight-up biopic. It's really not doing anything that different from what biopics do. Um, I would say it doesn't really force sentimentality in any way, which I think is one of its big pluses is that it doesn't do that. 
Um, but I guarantee you the Priscilla film is going to be oh, the exact be opposite different. of that. Yeah, be right. Much <laughs> different. Much different. <laughs> yeah. And um, which, which is good. They can both exist and they can both be great films. Yeah. And they're both auteurs, yeah. so it'll be interesting. Yeah. And it, it's just it's very funny that they're year apart. And I'm sure both of them are going to have like aspects of tragedy. Yeah. To them, and and you know, since I'm my own well, comedy, but the biggest yeah. tragedy about Priscilla is that they cast Jacob Elordi as Elvis, but uh, <laughs> we won't go there. I have nothing. Well, to- listen, I. I don't want to. I don't want to judge him off of one character. He's, you know, I'm saying. judging him off several characters. Yeah, he's on Euphoria. Nate from Euphoria, who's a pretty prickly. Uh, uh, yeah, character. he's in my buddy Ryan's film Mortuary Collection too. He's one okay. of the leads in that, and like, he's look perfectly handsome guy. I don't even think he's untalented. I'm just like, really, you're playing Elvis. I thought he was quite good in. Um, um oh my goodness uh um the, oh my goodness ben, ben affleck on his armis uh, oh no 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 oh no let's let's be clear deep water was one of my favorite films deep last water. year so i we, thought he was kind of good we can know? oh it was one of my favorite films yeah. last year i i yeah. I'll, I'll sing the virtues of deep water i think it's a great great film yeah yeah but he's not my favorite part of it okay um he's yeah. not one of my favorite parts of it that would be tracy letts but um but no, <laughs> no like, I, my favorite one of these standards we're holding to people no, no, we're let's be clear him to be better than tracy letts who's better well than no tracy no look letts? look well i'll tell you who's better in that movie than tracy letts ben affleck that's his best performance to date he is so good in that movie like he is he is playing like the handsome leading man but also playing like the straight up like Eve, I don't know. I just I think that movie is ahead of its time, but also a relic of the past, and I love it. Put that on the. the you have a ninety-year-old man directing that shit. Like that is insane, yeah. insane. Yeah. Uh, I raise you, Clint Eastwood. Well, you don't have to raise <laughs> me. I'm a big Clint fan. Mm-hmm. You're talking Alabama. to you're. Oh well, no. I'm, westerns are my pretty much my favorite genre overall. So I mean, I've seen literally every film Clint Eastwood has ever touched, in any capacity. I've seen it. What about uh, the I, movies he would touch when he would go to the blockbuster? Seen those? Oh well, I did. Unfortunately, since they got rid of the kitty porn section of blockbuster, it's hard to find those anymore. Oh wait, what? Was Clint into? No. Oh, oh. I just, oh, I just want to, I want to be a guy who starts a baseless oh, rumor yeah, and ruins that would be someone's a life. Big one. Like, I'm oh, like... did you hear that? Did you hear that Clint Eastwood likes kids? Oh boy. Um, and <laughs> so uh, yeah, no, it's like no, no, Clint's. I'm sure no, Clint would never do that. He also, uh, Clint Eastwood, uh, does the scores for his. I own was movies. curious how he also does scores for his own movies, and so he's a very musical guy. And I hear that when he sits down at a piano to record a new score, he calls it Sing Street. Huh. I made that up. But I, I tried to get us there. You're I tried to get us back there. I tried to get us back there as well as I could. Because I, I, what was I going to say? is like, well, there was a Duran Duran song in this Clint, East movie, Clint Eastwood movie. He hates the Irish. No. I don't know. You He's not putting Duran Duran in one of his movies. I would believe yeah. he hates the Irish. I would absolutely yeah. believe. No, I'm joking. You, you, could be, you could make it like really, really sweaty. Like, Bird came out the same year as this Duran Duran well, he Durand was album. in a musical. What musical would that be, Billy Ray? That Clint Eastwood was in a musical. A Western musical. Yeah, I'm trying to think of what Western musical that is. 
Is this more obvious than? Not really, but my girlfriend really yeah. likes that movie and has been like, because her dad's also into westerns, but for some reason has brought that movie up multiple times to me because she knows I like movies, and I'm just like, okay, I guess we should watch it at some point. What are you? Wait. What are you talking about? I'm. I, I. Are you talking? Paint your wagon. Yes. Okay, 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 okay. I was trying to think if you were if there was like did he do something in the seventies or eighties in a bit part that I'm not thinking about? She'll she has played the some of the songs in Paint Your Wagon in the Car before and I'm oh. like, what is this vibe we're going for right now? Well, I think if someone were to come up to Clint Eastwood on one of his films and be like, We want you to play we want you to feature this Duran Duran song in your movie, he would listen to it, he would pause and he would go <sighs> have Chris and... Christopherson re-record it. That's so <laughs> funny. And then that's what would happen, and it would be Chris Christopherson playing fucking Rio on his guitar outside of a rainy saloon. That's um, good. You, are, are you writing a script or something? Because uh, I'm... I'm not. I, I Well, it's already written. That's how quick I am. That's how easy it is to get a script made during the writer's strike. And knowing Clint, he's going to make it tomorrow because <laughs> he does not know. Nope. He, he, well, he's only got one. He, he is officially finally said this will be his last film. Juror number uh, nine? Is that yeah. Yeah. That, that will be his. Pucky. His, I don't know. I think he may be serious this time. If he dies right after it, it releases, I believe it. If not. <laughs> I don't believe that shit. Ever. I think someone can do like a weekend at Bernie's type deal. I think I think ninety three is a good age to go out on. You know what's a good age? Eighty five, probably. Eighty eight. Well, fuck it. Ninety would be a good time. Ninety three. Well, you just keep going after that until you die. Well, but I will say though, like I mean. I, I, you know, thinking of thinking back, but like he's made some damned good movies as an old man. Like he is, he is, he's been making movies as an old man since I've been alive. Like he was an old man when I was born, almost. But like, you know, like Richard Jewell, like not a bad movie, like pretty well made movie. Like I liked, I it's like Cry Macho. I think Cry Macho's got some good shit in it. Like he's still there. Like he's still with it. Sully. He, what i just said yeah yeah, yeah so i like sully because it's so contained yeah. i'm agreeing i like how contained sully is and he saved um, a lot of souls that day yeah yes. yeah they should have done in july yeah. now sure for every good film he's gonna make a jersey 127 boys. souls do you guys know how many people are in that plane 127 127, 127 souls. souls yeah yep 127 aaron eckhart is in that movie that's cool mm -hmm. i like that yeah yeah, yeah i mm -hmm. like when aaron eckhart shows up in real and movies. a gun jack you're Irish. This do we, is an Irish movie. Talk about it. Yes. Do, do we have? Do we have any like? I, I don't know. Like any favorite Irish films from the decade? Uh, like oh. that can relate to from the 2010s to, to, to this one. Yeah, because this is sort of like the one oh. that comes to mind for me as like like a seminal one. Like I remember being like, oh, Irish cinema is something that I hadn't really dug into. And this is, of course, like the time for me. I mean, if, if nothing comes to mind, that's okay. But um, I'm looking. Yeah. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, so. 
Yeah, I mean, there are a few that I'm just, I'm kind of doing a quick look to and seeing Handsome Devil is a really great one. Um, it's an Irish sort of queer drama. It stars uh, uh, Nicholas uh, Galatine, who I guess people know from Red, White, and Royal Blue. He's in the new Emma Seligman movie, Bottoms. But that was his first mm. sort of breakthrough performance. Um, I love Calvary, which is the uh, the other McDonough brother. Mm-hmm. Uh, not yep. Martin, but Michael. Um, with Michael, uh, yep. Brendan Gleeson, which is really incredible. Um, a great horror film from Ireland called The Hallow, mm-hmm. which is uh, about sort of killer fairies. Uh, that director went on to do uh, uh, The Nun. Uh, that is terrible Frank, film. I, is Frank an Irish film? It is. Yes. So Frank's yeah. good. Is The Lobster an Irish Abrams. film? Um, it, ish. It had an Irish company, like a co-production company. I and believe. is it Colin Farrell Irish? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it sure is. Yeah. Um, well, the other one would be... Uh, uh, Jack Rayner, his one of his breakout roles was in What Richard Did, which is yes. the same filmmaker who did Frank, and that's a really Frank, good film. Yeah, Lenny Abrahamson, yes. Yeah, right. and um, yep. who also inexplicably also did Room. Uh, yeah. Okay, sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and what was the? Um, there's the Donald Gleason horror movie. After, oh. That was his follow up to Room. I forget the... Oh, that oh, no, 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 no one saw and doesn't exist? Yeah. No, no, yeah. I know it. It's it's him. It's like the girl on the cover. It's like Little Something. Mm-hmm. The Little, little Stranger. That's it. Little that's it. Stranger. Yeah. Which is a yes. weird movie that doesn't work. And it mm-hmm. does not... This, it does not exist. Like, it literally just, oh, yeah. just doesn't... It's not... I here. saw it... I saw it in theaters. I saw it the opening weekend in L.A. The Letterbox and three people. Yeah. Oh, no, no, I literally, I, I remember seeing that film and nobody being there, nobody talking about it, and it just kind of came and went, and I watched it and I was like, it's fine, it's not bad, it, it's just not particularly captivating, and like, mm-hmm. it's one of those movies where you watch it like, why would any person feel compelled to tell this story? Especially like, coming off a hit. Yeah, I'm like, no. it, like, it doesn't feel like a personal choice. It doesn't feel like something you do because you're just so passionate about the material. It's like, why do you choose this as your next thing? I mean, maybe he just wanted to do a horror film, and this came his way, but, like, it's not particularly well done. Is Conversation um, he, with Friends good, Jack? I have not, I haven't seen that one. Yeah, no, neither have I. Okay. But well, I don't, I don't believe it got favorable reviews, The the one that was the Sally Rooney adaptation that got better reviews was Normal People. Which he also did. Yeah. Yes. So yeah. I was going to say Normal People yes. kind of saved his career almost, but I guess now it's on the downside again. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. I mean, The Souvenir, certainly... I believe, is an Irish production that came to mind for me. Um, great movie that we've covered. Well, that's not the 2010s. 2019. Is it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for oh, right. 21. I guess yeah. you're right. Okay, I guess you're yeah, right. It, just, it slips in. It slips in. Mm-hmm. I'll be honest, boys. I don't have a lot of takes with Sing Street when I watched it. I it, I watched it and I'm like that was good. I had an enjoyable time. But the music's good. I think it I don't think it's like held hostage by 80s nostalgia, which is super refreshing because yeah. nowadays Yeah, that's like, that's a good way. That's a good because I no, I mean, I, that's really great of you to say. Because it's like, 
eighties nostalgia in the decade can get pretty tiresome and pretty played out. out and watching Ready Player One. Right, right, right. A great example but, where it sort of like culminates into like the Stranger Things. And that's all. what it's did like, it is yeah. this was made yeah. before Stranger Things came out. Yes. Which is yes. the big yes. big buzz. This yeah. was the spring, Stranger Things was the summer. Yeah. Uh and yeah, where where you get a lot of filmmakers and writers taking like, oh, remember X eighties thing, like the aesthetic of it all. Uh it was Remember you know, the color covered... neon? Right, right. Remember yeah. synth? You know, it, it's horrible. It's and, and we experienced it like when we have no nostalgia. And we're just finding it super annoying and didn't find any use for it. But uh, rather, yes, because this is like a like a UK version of it, I think it sort of handles it a little better rather than an Americanized version. Yeah, I, 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 I agree, absolutely. And I think had this come out after, had this been made after Stranger Things, maybe it would have looked different, but I don't think it would mm-hmm. have. I think, I, think, I think John Carney is smart enough to know how to keep things authentic and not mm-hmm. and not just go overboard with it because that's a big thing with me too is like cuz I'm I'm just as much an 80s kid as I am a 90s kid like I have equal amounts of nostalgia for both decades but um anybody I mean and I look I love stranger things I'm a big fan of that show I'm ready for it to end I'm ready for it to come back but it goes overboard so many times on the whole like 80s thing as do a lot of films and, you know, I just want it to feel authentic. It doesn't have to just, like, hammer me over the face with it. You don't have to stop and have a two-minute conversation about a Walkman. Like, I get what it is. Yeah. I get what it does. I don't need you to explain it to and me. And now those... Finn Wolfhard. Like... <laughs> those, those, yeah, uh... Finn. Why don't you take a hike, buddy? Um... Uh-huh. Yeah, but <laughs> yeah, Finn. Uh, like, those, those movie those episodes start to be, like, like 13 episodes like an hour and a half like really putting in a lot of lore and story and like building itself up towards like you really just lost what made that first season so special yes and no so like i'll say yes and no so i'm one of those people who was like really excited about these super extended episodes mm-hmm. i i don't love like the nostalgia trap but i like the building of the mythology in that show and i i I'm excited to see where it goes. It's going to end up on the whole a sort of mixed bag series for me, for sure. Um, but I, I liked the last season a lot. Like, I thought they did a really for good her. job with it. And um, and I'm excited to see where it goes. But, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's one of those shows. That it's like, look, I use Glee as an example again. I'll maintain that first season of Glee was a banger. I know, you're, that, you're really talking about Glee a lot. Wasn't well, that, that first season is terrific. The second season and everything after. No, was this the first thing is that an wasn't on your bingo fire. card for the Sing Street episode? Like, no, Glee was not. Was there anything I else? I did not no? think Glee was going to be mentioned. Then again, I didn't think a lot, half of the things we were talking about were going to be mentioned. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Well, you know yeah. what? Now we should segue into a conversation about 70s actor Elliot Gould. So Elliot Gould <laughs> was born. No, I've brought him up recently. <laughs> I think, I, I think we talked, someone made a joke about or some kind of comment of like the chest hair of a of like oh. a, a Jewish movie star, and I'm like, are you talking about Elliot Gould? And he's like, I am talking about Elliot Gould. And I'm like, I would like that chest hair too. I don't think <laughs> what people realize is that in Jurassic Park, 
that iconic image of Jeff Goldblum with like the shirt unbuttoned and he's looking all glistening. That is a straight, I would guarantee you, that is straight up Jeff Goldblum stealing an Elliot Gould pose from the 1970s. Absolutely. Elliot Gould is one of my favorite actors because I'm like, he was a leading man for pretty much the entire 1970s. And then it's like all of a sudden in the 80s, people were like, eh, we're done with you, Elliot. Has anyone ever been hotter than him in Nashville? I don't think so. No. Pretty hot. No. Pretty hot in Nashville. Um, Even, I mean, listen, has anyone had a, a better look and character introduction than Ocean's Eleven? I mean, the, the well, sunglasses and the robe and the, yeah, the he's, let he's, Chester breathe. Yeah. Elliot Gould's just terrific. I'm, I'm glad this actually did turn into an Elliot Gould discussion. So, Because um, I do uh, yeah. love Elliot Gould. Do we have any favorite songs from the soundtrack? Oh, sure. Um, sure, yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, I guess my favorite is... Um, uh, Do I feel like he stole it? It's a banger. It is. I like To Find You a lot. I think Which that's a really that good one? song. To Find You, it's the slower, more ballady song. Right, right, right. Yeah, but I also like, I like, weirdly, I like the Adam Levine song at the end of the film, too. The one that's playing as they're as they're in the boat, and, like, I think that's actually a really good song. I wish someone other than Adam Levine sang it, but yeah. um, but I do like the song. But he's, he like, wrote. a pretty big part of Begin Again, if, if memory serves. Yeah, oh, he is, yeah. Right, and he, right, yeah. and he um, I don't hate Adam Levine. I just, he's a decent songwriter. I just don't love his voice as a singer. It's a little too whiny to me, but... Um, but I love that song. So I would say either To Find You, Drive It Like You Stole It, or Go Now would be mine. Mm-hmm. Drive yeah, it drive Like it You Stole yeah. It. Yeah. I, yeah, it's hard. I, um, yeah, it's hard not to say that one. But it's... Riddle of the Model, besides the racist stuff, is pretty good. Um, and it's funny. Like I, I think maybe... So, like, the, how clean, like, some of the story, how clean it wraps up sometimes bothers me. And also, I understand that it's the 80s and that I, I, I don't think that this, the race stuff is out of nowhere. Like, I don't, I don't find it inauthentic to a place, but I'm just like, they almost keep coming back to it. Like, it's necessary and I'm just like, it's not, you told the joke already I don't know why you need to tell it again. Um, that that's one that was just one of my little issues. I, I mean, I understand that, and also it's not like saying that hey, the racism it makes sense. It's more of like no, these guys are idiots. But I'm just like, are you gonna tell the same joke twice? I I mean, really? Okay. Whatever. So um, I so Clay's hot take for this whole discussion is that John Carney is a racist and should not be allowed. <laughs> To put this propaganda out into the world. I'm glad that we narrowed it down to your hot take. I didn't yeah. want to phrase it like that, but <laughs> unfortunately that is true. Yeah. I I'm cutting by the way, I'm I'm cutting uh, I'm cutting that part to like rephrasing it like that is true. I sort of like jumbling words here. Yeah. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, riddle the model, I think that that honestly, now that I'm reminding of that one. Uh, really great. Um, yeah, the, the music, it, yeah, yeah, it, it yeah. has, 
that same level of freshness and uh, originality that both once and uh, begin again carry. Um, Imagine that, if they were covers. Yeah, this movie would the, suck. And I love how at <laughs> yeah. the beginning they'll realize, like, like Jack Rayner is like, this is shit. This is like, yeah. or, or, or I, as his people say, this is shite. There we yeah. go. Thank you for for being respectful. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Of, I respect of, uh, cultures. Yeah, I respect yeah, all cultures. Um, but yeah, true. it's like he really goes in like you know who wants to be a cover band, and I can. Right. But you could definitely see a version of this movie where it's covers. You could see it oh, so sure. clearly. It would oh, be sure. so bad. In, in a year when uh, when there was like a lot of interesting things going on, but do we have do we have any more thoughts on? On Sing Street, or I'm out of thoughts. I'm out of thoughts. I'm, I'm, yeah, no, it's it's like Clay said. It's just really good. It still doesn't feel like oh, this is so 2016. Like it just has that. Yeah. Um, it has that combo of like being a period piece, not overdoing the 80s stuff, having good music. Like it's just it's just the right amount of like, um, you know, really clever filmmaking. That you, yeah. You know. Yeah. No, I yeah, I agree. I think it's a perfectly lovely film. I think it's it's just a it's a crowd pleaser. Mm-hmm. It's a straight up crowd pleaser, popcorn movie. And sometimes that's all I want. Certainly. It's it's yeah. well shot. It looks good. It's uh the editing is really good. I mean, it, it, it the pacing is excellent in the film. Excellent. I've never like fuck, what is this? Like cuz either they're doing a nice moment with the brother, they're showing the relationship between him and Rafina or they're like making a song like the parent stuff maybe is the only stuff that kind of drags for me but besides that it's just pretty it, it's it's a you know it's a it's a thrill a minute folks it's a thrill a minute a thrill a minute a thrill a minute uh but and and again it's a thrill a minute it's a crowd pleaser it's an easy watch but still i think it's slightly um uh sort of like it avoids being a sun dancey sort of saccharine, um, emotionally manipulative film, which again is is quite impressive to me, especially with some distance. Yeah. Billy Ray, would you like to go first with your favorite scene from Sing Street? Oh my goodness, my favorite Sign Street. Scene. Some people pronounce it from Sign Street. Mm-hmm. Is that how they do it? Some. Okay. Good to know. Good to know. Good to know. Um, it's probably, it's probably the last scene between him and his brother. I, I like the last in the bedroom scene, mm. like sort of like their big heart to heart scene. Like, I feel like that's probably my favorite scene because it feels the most authentic. Where he, um, when he goes off. Yeah. Yeah. Right. But I also, it's also hard because I also like the the sequence uh, where Lucy Boynton is in the water, like the her never do anything by halves sequence. Like I like that one too. That's towards earlier in the film, towards the mid. Those one of those two. Those are probably my two favorite scenes. Do you see that guitar? I used to be able to play that guitar. Well, I used to ride hot girls. I could run 200 meters faster than anybody in my school. You're the youngest. You get to follow the path that I macheted through the jungle that is our mad family. I was alone with them for six years. You think they're crazy now? 
Think about what they were like when they were in their late 20s. Two Catholics in a rented flat with a screaming baby who just got married because they wanted to have sex. They didn't even love each other. I was in the middle of that, alone. And then you came along, thank God. And you followed the path that I cut for us, untouched. You just moved in my jet stream. And people laugh at me, Connor, the stoner, the college dropout, and they praise you, which is fine. But once, I was a jet engine. But I do love that kind of idea of that commitment to art and how I, I really like this film's uh, uh, thesis when it comes to there's no half-assing it. There is no, uh, there's no re you know, there's no, there's no real genuine way to copy. It's just you have to do it, and you have to create it, and you have to, it has to be yourself, and it lives on, and it can, and it has, it, it makes you a more a, a creature that can live on through, you know, in more ways than one. It, travels through cities it travels through years it travels through uh, ideologies and cultures and things like that your art is something that can be more than just you i mean that's the whole speech that's how he stands up to the bullies like i just i what i create with my music is just so much more important than anything you can even comprehend yeah. um that is not my favorite scene so i just did what billy ray did and i mentioned a scene and didn't take it even though i should have um <laughs> I will say my favorite scene is the um, <laughs> the fifties uh, uh, flash or, or like the fifties dream, you know, like yeah. the print, like the principal yeah. doing the flips and Jack Rayner coming out of nowhere and punching the guy and all those and that like whole lost in your own music kind of daydreaming. Um, it's really fun. It's, it, I don't know. It's it's a it's a real fun time. Jake, you lived on my son over there. Are you expecting her to tell me? I thought she was coming, but I don't know where she is. Right, so you better get something filmed. Just have an hour. Come on, come on. She's not coming. Let's just do whatever. Okay. Come over, guys. Okay, so this is like a school video. Except not like an Irish school, more like an American school, and it's prom night. Have you seen Back to the Future? Okay, well, it's just kind of like 50s dancing. Um, Luke, what? It's like dancing from the 50s, you know, licking fingers and... Can we try some now, actually? Just... Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, maybe do a few twirls and stuff. Just do what's natural. Make it as natural as possible. Let's get some playback.
making it super easy for me when I edit. Thanks, guys. Uh, I will say where uh, the wrap up between Rafina and Connor on the you know on their on the bench and like explain to like listen I need to <clears throat> go off with with the with, with my other boyfriend and like trying to like you know it's it it wraps them up well as like a will they won't they and like trying to navigate this this like teenage angst this teenage yearning uh, that Carney once explored and once with adults but now sort of like applying that same sense of desire um and yeah and like you know they have they have some really genuine moments together like like their first kiss on that on that date uh but now i just still i see that resolved uh on their moment together is really it's really nice yeah yeah look at you jack not cheating we all cheated <laughs> we I, you know what i'm just <laughs> you played by the rules I, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> like, like a loser. loser. Yeah, I know, right? Uh, like a loser. Yeah, uh, that's me. As soon as you got there, no messing, all right? I will. Okay. Hey, uh, before you go, I wrote down some song lyrics. Really? Yeah, it's pretty stream of consciousness stuff, but it's about this kid and a girl in the future. Put some music to it sometime. Okay. Wish I'd done this. You'll probably die. But anyway, go on, go. You should come and visit us. You seem like a mad bastard. Okay. You look after that brother of mine. He's going to be lost without me. Hello.
Yeah, uh, thank you for coming, Billy Ray. This oh, it was my it was my pleasure. pleasure. Yeah. It was my pleasure to be here. Yeah, um, we we will see you soon on the incinerator. Uh, you will where, see me soon yeah. on the incinerator, mm-hmm. where I promise you there yeah. will be more in depth discussions about my penis. <laughs> if that's a that promise, we are willing to. Keep. Too, so that's I'm, yeah, yeah, right, right. You know, right, right. I am this known is a on promise sc- that's meant to be kept. I'm not on screen drafts. I'm known there for my big dick and energy, and so I got to bring the BDE <laughs> everywhere I go. Really funny. Uh, big dickin and spending cheese. Big dickin on B- whatever that song is. That was a Jay Z reference. Oh, big, man! Big I'm usually the person who gets the rap references around here. That's my bad. That's my bad. I'm not a Jay Z uh, yeah. guy. I don't know why. Oh. Well, anyway, but but if you have any other you know podcasts to 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 plug or promote or, oh, or where places online people can find you yeah oh yeah oh well you can find me on the socials at billy ray bruton obviously yeah. i have the incinerator podcast and i have mm-hmm. movie mixtapes both of which are well incinerator drops every other week movie mixtapes drops every week and um those are a lot of fun you can also find me on screen drafts quite a bit you'll find me on the upcoming With the other clay yep Yep, the other clay, and you'll. If find... we ever have Clay Keller on, there's two clays here. in this space. I, I don't know. I, there's yeah. only two. Yeah. I'm not met a third. Hmm. I, I know some from, from. I know some other clays, but not in the podcast space. Um, but um, yeah, I but them. I then I'm on there a lot. You'll you'll hear me on the upcoming Vietnam draft and the Halloween oh, franchise draft, which we're doing. Uh, Vietnam yeah. War draft or Vietnam draft? Vietnam War draft yeah. specifically. <laughs> yeah, I was like, we I'm have like, whole... going to pick a bunch of Vietnamese films. Oh, I could. I, I, there's some great, no, there's I know. some great I films know. coming out of Vietnam. I know. Um, or are but... you being drafted for Vietnam, Vietnam War? Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we're doing. Yeah, we're doing uh, just films <laughs> that take place 
during the <laughs> Vietnam War. We we had a big long debate about it. Like it can't be a film that's like just taking place in the United States during the war. Sure. It has to actually have some component of the right, Vietnam War present. There's no would be number one, right? Obviously, we can all agree. <laughs> of course. Of course. Yeah, we'll go with that. We'll go with that. But yeah, you can just find me on there. I'm doing all sorts of shit. You can find me all sorts of places. Are you, how many times are you going to play the um, Credence? Uh, oh, fuck. I had this. Fortunate Son. Fortunate, Fortunate Son. Son. Yeah, how many times are you going to play, uh, play it during the draft? Well, Five? I've, already made, I've already made that joke to the other Clay already. So um, it's, a, it's a layup. But yeah, but yeah, I mean, it's going to play at least once. It has to. I mean, it has to. There's another one. Back in Black? No. What's the ACD song? Uh, I don't know that one. I know that they use uh, Spirit in the Sky is one. Like, Take me up to the spirit in the sky. I'm just going off with all the songs that were in the first Black Ops game. I thought you were just... I I thought you were doing the Forrest Gump soundtrack. No. Any, Any of these are optional. Um, but yeah, there's a, but what's the other like stereotypical Vietnam song? There's fortunate son. And what's the other one? I just know of that one. That, that one to me is the, 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 the... So, sorry. I know it's not a great impression. I don't even know. I don't even know what that was. Well, that, it was that's fortunate a... son. Um, oh, well, it sounded like an aggravated fart. <laughs> I mean, all my farts are aggravated, baby. Um, Jack, can you follow up and plug? Um, yeah, I can be found on X at... Boo! Fuck uh, you, Elon! It is not Fuck called you. X. It's not. It's, it's not. Twitter. Elon sucked my dick. The, yeah, he can't hear you. I I hate to bring it to you. Um, I, I'm on Instagram at JackAndrewRaper, and I have... Writing on film at the Boston Hassle. Um, this movie is available in many, many streaming places, which is great for accessibility. For me, places like Tubi and Pluto TV and Hoopla. And, and Freebie. Freebie. Don't, and Freebie. I also watched yeah. it on Freebie. I, it's a, yeah, that's true. Yeah, you can get some ads. Let, Tubi is, uh, ads are too much for me. I can't do it. They're like, but they like three minutes. A great, sh- a great shelf to to scroll through, and uh, uh, I don't, I don't mind it. Um, great oh, I, original, I love Tubi. Great original content. Great Tubi content is where they have produced in every no, film. Every film <laughs> that kidding. you don't know if it's out on streaming, it's on Tubi. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Every Do you film. Love their and original programming. Though? Their original. Programming. Some of it. Some of it. <laughs> like there's some. Like I thought they did. They actually did an Amityville film recently that was not terrible called the amityville curse and i'm like this is actually a pretty decent flick and then they did that weird play dead film with jerry o'connell that was surprisingly good okay so you, like most of their about this than I most of their stuff is garbage but oh no i watch tubi all the time um and uh i almost got a job at tubi not too long ago um and then um and uh but yeah no it's uh i love that platform i like the curation that they do there i mean it's a lot of bullshit yeah but then they also have a pretty keen eye for some of like the under the radar stuff that can't find a home anywhere else. Are you excited so really for that. their Johnny Depp Amber Heard movie? Well, not now that I've seen the Netflix series. Oh, is there a Netflix series now? 
Yeah, called De it's not. It's pretty decent actually. They do some interesting things with it. They basically just put their testimony side by side and comment more on the social media reaction to the trial. It's actually a really interesting series. Um, hmm. But will I watch the Tubi version? No, I won't. No, because it's a recreation. It's not yeah, a documentary. It's a recreation. They've casted and it, I, and I think they're done filming it. Well, then I am seeing it for sure. Uh, since it's that, I will 100% be seeing it, because uh, I love trash as much as the next person. You're a braver man than I. Um, everyone can follow me at Birds of Clay on Twitter and on Letterboxd and whatever the fuck social media app you use. Now we have too many. Uh, Instagram at Birds of Clay 99. Um, Follow us on Twitter at the podcast account at ETT Pod. It's Twitter, goddammit. Um, he's going to go bankrupt soon. He's going to sell it, and it's going to be Twitter again. So don't worry about it. Um, you can send us an email at exiting2010s at gmail.com. Please remember to rate, review, subscribe. Give us five stars on any podcast platform you listen to us on to. We'd greatly appreciate it. Share us with a friend. Retweet. Um, go steal someone's car, drive it around like you stole it, then drive back to where the person is, Take go, get out of the car and say, hey, go listen to Exiting Through the 2010s, and then run Can away. Can incinerator? Mm, I was right the first no. time. Um, oh, I see. Yes. Well, no, no more dick humor for you. <laughs> if once I okay, if you if you promise me we'll get we'll you will get me on a Star Wars incinerator, then I might. Oh, that's a tough one. Yeah. Um. Uh -huh. Oh. I'm not cheap. I'm not cheap. I'm not cheap. I'm not cheap. <laughs> no matter how many dollar bills Jack stuffs in my uh, thong, I'm not cheap. That's good to know. That's good to know because that's that's far, not a far too many. I'll say this. I'll say this. It's not off the table. All right, that's fine enough. Go listen to the incinerator. I'll take it. Not off the table. Not off the table. Um, I, I will take it. Um, be good to yourselves, guys. Stay safe, and we'll catch you next time on exiting through the 2010s. Mm -hmm.